what's up, beautiful people? It's the worst fucking podcast on the internet. As usual, I'm here. Aaron's here. And uh, we're just going to talk about uh, stuff in the bushes. Snakes. But first, sponsor time. Rao, vetdna.com. For all of your testing needs, use code SHITHAPPENS for $5 off the crypto spiridium panel. If you need to test some poop, Ral has you covered. And all your other testing needs, of course. Do you have you tested any poop recently? I have not. <laughs> Maybe soon. You'll need to. I might, yeah, I might need to test my own. Mm-hmm. They do kitchen and stuff too. So you could actually like more cheaply run that than you could if you did it through like your really like a university lab. Mm-hmm. They might science has, yeah. Science has gone farther. <laughs> I used to swab fucking red spotted dudes and give it to like my professor's wife who was gonna run at USDA and it was gonna be like a hundred dollars a sample oh, and no. everything caught up at this point. It's like twenty bucks or whatever, easy overnight PCR, no like Western blot bullshit. Oh, times have changed. Stone Age yeah. Ball Pythons. All of your ball python needs in Pacific Northwest. He's in the 15 minutes of lame contest. Go vote for him if you like his beard. Very nice beard. Thank you. Stone Age Ball Pythons. <laughs> Andrew, uh, Powerhouse Pythons. He is he does not have a beard. We're working on that part. But if he did, he's a Pacific Northwest provider of Go for Coco, Ball Pythons. Stemsons, pythons, leopard geckos, and all kinds of other stuff. Rodents. Thank you, Andrew. Chris Venus Reptilia. He's our uh, Pituophis patriarch. Lots of Pituophis that you could buy. He's still running his 25% off Christmas sale. He has not updated Morph Market. Morph Market is basically a jumbled mess <laughs> today. You don't know what that is, Aaron, but chat will know. If you've been to Morph Market, it's like a disaster. But you can still message him and get 25% off until Christmas if you mention Holdback Rack Podcast. Shane Kelly, I, I've been uh, harassing uh, Shane Kelly, so I'll tell his exotics to post his Kelly Co. video. He hasn't done it yet. He hasn't done it yet. <laughs> Maybe after Christmas. Who knows? Small Town Exotics. Bravo Zulu Pythons. She is a veteran, woman-owned ball python breeding business. And she's doing like little mini flash sales. So check her out on Instagram or Facebook because like some of this, her, her standing inventory, she's doing like a flash sale with the price and gray family snakes. They have their triple head BPI DG pied clutch on morph market now. So check it out. Thank you, Aaron, for sitting through a sponsor spot where you probably didn't understand some of it. Context clues. <laughs> Oh, fuck. All right. Let's go back in time. Let's do a little journey. How do we know each other? Can you tell the audience? So you and I... Don't reveal any incriminating details. I'll, I'll try not to. It'll be hard. But um, so yeah, so Jessica and I went to grad school together mm -hmm. at Marshall University in West Virginia. Our advisor was Dr. Polly, uh, herpetology guy, 
in West Virginia. Did a lot He's of stuff. Still alive. But... That's the craziest part. Still kicking. Yeah. I talk and to him every once in a while, and um, he's doing yeah, he great. A... Yeah, well, I will he's be got... dead way before he's dead at the, the rate he, we're going. He's got good genes. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it, most of his, I think, his dad and his grandpa both lived o over a hundred. So, um, it's crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, he's done a lot of work with Cheap Mountain Salamander, federally listed species endemic to West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And he recently had a another salamander named after him, the yellow spotted woodland salamander. And uh, is that a Desmognathus? I don't even remember. No, it's a whirly eye sibling okay. species. Yeah, it um, one of those weird ones that lives down in the in the Cumberlands that has yellow spots. All right, um, sweet. Yeah. So yeah. we have a couple other like poly babies that like listen mm -hmm. and then like other poly children that people might know in the audience are dr loveman dr messenger did nate ever get his phd maybe not and nate shepherd sure. so th those are all poly children and there are many more hundreds millions <laughs> he was a prolific yeah, it was about that like high fecundity model of being a professor. Worked. Mm-hmm. Classic people. Uh, Andrew Series excited about uh, rattlesnakes. Oh yeah. If y'all have any like weird random questions, I think we could casually do that. So we were in grad school together. Um, we don't want to talk about that too much, but what happened after grad school? For you so, so for me i um in between the two semesters that we were in or two years that we were in grad school together i uh i randomly messaged a uh a guy at penn state who was doing telemetry who i found was doing telemetry research on rattlers in northern pa which I, i'm from pencil i'm from the pittsburgh area and um so i thought hey that would be a cool summer job. And, um, initially he said that he didn't need anything, probably thought I was crazy. Just randomly emailing someone. And then I was out actually, I was actually doing, uh, cheap mountain salamander surveys with Dr. Polly. And he, he emailed me and, uh, said, Hey, can you, can you start to like tomorrow <laughs> basically? <laughs> Cause they, he need, for whatever reason, his technicians, some of his technicians didn't work out. He just needed someone like ASAP. And, um, so I, I, I did the rest of the summer doing telemetry up there on, on rattles, timber rattlesnakes. Were they and, already implanted and they were just re capturing them wherever they were, or were you adding new implants? Where, where was it? Where was the study at, at that point? I guess a little bit of both. They had some implanted the year before, um, but we were act we were also actively catching them and like, and I I would actually assist on when he was you know doing the surgeries and stuff too. So it oh, was did he a, it himself. Yeah, yeah, he did it himself. Um, okay. What did the ICO uh, committee think about that? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I'm still yeah, traumatized by it. Was I a little, 
yeah 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 but um yeah it was a study to see the uh effects of of fracking essentially on on rattlesnakes and pa but um so we had like a, a control site and a, a treatment site where they were supposed to put all these these well pads mm-hmm. and um you know it was a before during and after it was supposed to be the you know the thing Did it ever and, published i don't think anything was ever actually published from it because they actually they, they ended up being like oh we're not going to drill there anymore so sorry isn't funny how like you know it can take a lot of human uh man hours and suffering and then it's like hmm. i'm assuming it was both good and bad because there'd be like more cha- chances for thermoregulation but like more impacts from just being smushed by vehicle traffic what did you think the results of it were that was that was basically what you exactly just said that was what they were trying to figure out because mm-hmm. um several of our sites were on existing well pads in that area where where they jet where the the gravid females would gestate um so it you know it, at that latitude in most of Pennsylvania most of the the northern Appalachians and the northeast gravid female timbers they don't eat pretty much all summer long, they need to have an open area, some kind of open canopy area to, to cook the babies. And those are in some areas of the state, those areas are hard to come by. So they really will flock to uh, any kind of right way or well pad or or something like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, a lot of the existing well pads in the area were sites that we we caught them at and uh and we're monitoring them over a long time and there were also there were natural sites there as well and uh we didn't really have a whole lot of mortality in that study which was pretty crazy for how many snakes that we i i think that over the time that i worked at we implanted like maybe like 60, 60 snakes or so over like three years. And, um, most of the snakes that didn't make it, we, we don't know why they just basically, they were implanted and they just never came out of the den. Um, and then we had a couple that were, were, uh, predated. It it looks like basically like I would go out and I would just find a transmitter that was Mm -hmm. oiled up. Like it had been through something's, uh intestinal tract mm-hmm. yeah we only had one that got hit by a car that yeah we had one that got hit by a car and that was it all right real quick andrew asks in Pennsylvania, is it cane break or timber it's timbers uh, generally if you're if you're in the coastal plain of the united states it is cane breaks everywhere else it's timbers i agree yeah. i don't i don't ever hear cane break anywhere else basically yeah well i mean they used they used to be a subspecies and then they they changed it but honestly it's what like most people still refer to them as cane breaks the ones in the in the south like in georgia south carolina mm-hmm. and the in the coastal plain of florida you know they're only in a little bit of florida but yeah i mean they they look different they behave different their venom's different i'm generally a lumper, but 
I, I think that they, that's definitely one that should be different. I would think. The world is uh, changing all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like even since grad school, like Solinsky, I got like dropped down from full species status to subspecies. I don't know, like Pantherophis. Yeah. And you're like, it's only been like 10 years. I don't uh, even, I don't even try to keep up with, with rat snake stuff. It's just like, <laughs> I still call it a laffe obsoleta. All right, good. <laughs> it's just hard. Cause, and then it doesn't make sense. And then from like, a, like a keeping side, like in Pennsylvania for natives, you can only keep four as like pets. Mm-hmm. But now sure. all of a sudden, like Everglades, yellows are all the same species as what was native. So technically, you could have kept them before. So like it taxonomically like messes yep. you up. Yeah, that I know that's that'll probably be a, a problem with uh, anyone who has southern copperheads in PA too, because they they just change that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do about it. it sucks. Uh, yeah, I. I, it, it's, it's really, a um, like I understand the, ba I understand the science of why they are, well, I can pretend to understand the science of why they, they split things up, but at some point it's, um, it's, it's kind of just hogwash to me. I, I don't know. Right. It's like semantics and, yeah, and stuff. I, You're just like, I hand wave a new species or I yeah. lump <laughs> And well, yeah, yeah. My biggest problem with it is that what I hate seeing is you see some news article and they're like, new species discovered in, you know, Virginia or, or what, or like Ohio or whatever. And it's like people, the, the general public will re, will look at that and be like, oh man, they like went out and found a new species that nobody's ever found before. No one's seen it. And it's like, no, it's just, uh, it looks exactly the same as this other one. We just did genetics on it. I, I, I feel like it, in the eyes of the general public, it has the potential to make biologists look dishonest. And I don't, mm. that, that always has, has kind of irked me. But it, it's also up to the way that the media portrays it. So it's, I don't know. Speaking of, mess. like, on this topic, remember how we always had to write, like, impact statements for <laughs> shit that they're like, oh, yeah, we're maintaining biodiversity, blah, blah, blah. Like, you have to make the the point of your study, like, have a purpose to, to normies. Yep. But don't you think almost that is, like, a form of lying? You're like, yeah, it probably doesn't, really doesn't fucking matter, right? It's just because <laughs> we want to know, like, what they do for fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's that a form of lying? Be like, I need money, so I'm gonna like convince you there's a use case. Yeah, yeah. It it can be hard to commit, but see with that, with actually trying to figure out which, actually trying to like study like you know natural history aspects of species like that. It's like we don't know in the future what what's going to happen, and getting all the info we can while they're still common is is important you know that that's something that's going on right now like we don't know anything about a lot of the 
forest frog species that are disappearing in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And they're, I mean, they're, it, it's not looking good for a lot of them. So mm-hmm. I can understand. I guess what I'm getting at is like, there's like a, a, a hysterical edge to all impact statements or whatever that like, yeah. you have to do it. You're like, okay, fuck global warming, invasive species, yeah. all this shit. And it sounds, and eventually it's just like, no, nobody in the public cares but what that they needed to care is just we didn't need them to know more about everything period because science moves forward when you know more about everything period so yep. all information should be valued about the natural world pretty much equally even if it has no potential use yeah. case you can't turn it into a medicine nobody gives a fuck it just is all important because nature yeah. is important the, all the whole system's important we don't know why it will be important in the future it just is important I think we do a terrible job of communicating that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because people. yeah, we, yeah, we know why it, it needs to be like that, but it's also, I, I think we do a, a bad job communicating that, but it's also like a lot of people just don't care. <laughs> like, right. They're not right. Gonna, like if you're, you know, people will think certain things are cute or, or whatever, but if you're like, we're going to raise your taxes to, to find out what the salamander eats. They'll be they're They'll show mm-hmm. up with pitchforks and torches, you know, <laughs> to a certain, to a certain degree. I, I, I think that it, it's, it can, it can be hard to get people to, um, to buy into something mm-hmm. that they are not going to see, um, very tangible results from. How do we trick people into liking things? Tell them it's about climate change. Okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> right. Exactly. It is like a conundrum. Yeah. Like that's why I always like pairing like game species use cases with whatever you're yeah. like, this might affect the fucking grouse. And, and then everyone's like, Oh, the grouse. And you're like, but it's really about rattlesnakes, right? But it's like, yeah. You know, oh, if, if we put in these food plots for a grouse, what happens to the Because <laughs> then, like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, fucking, we need to know how many yeah. stems is there in this fucking plot. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So, I, and then it makes more sense to people. But I, I, this is something I've struggled with for like 10 years is like, A, nobody cares about anything ever, unless it's like materially affecting them. Yep. And then B, obviously all these scientists are starving. All of those GS4s that go from position to position and suffer, techs, field people, none of them have any money. None of them have a job. Not enough tenure positions. They're all suffering. So, th- so whatever drama they can drum up to get money, probably good, right? Good. <laughs> yeah. But, but it creates this like, we're all psycho and we just want money. Basically, we just want like the tiniest bit of money to just to, to eat. Just don't even like li- <laughs> crumb, a little crumb. Uh, Chris asked, "Is there a volunteer program in PA to help with rattlesnakes?" Um, s- sort of. Um, so Pennsylvania does a um right now is currently doing a a distribution survey, a volunteer Atlas program. And it's called the PA amphibian and reptile survey. And um, 
So basically, this is a citizen science type of thing where you go out, you mm -hmm. sign up for the website, and you go out and find whatever herbs you can. And instead of like the old way of a museum needing a voucher, like an actual, you know, preserved specimen, that's, uh, we don't do that anymore. And especially for, for rare stuff. So uh, you can take a photo voucher and it is verified by, it has to be verified by three different people. Wow. Um, I found the website. There it is. And I'm actually the Westmoreland County coordinator. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> It's the orange one in the southwest corner there, that one. And uh, I'm on the verification committee, too, where um, and, and we get all kinds of records. And How many non-natives, um, sorry to interrupt, how many non-natives have people sent you pictures of to verify? Like a wow, like oh, somebody's pet corn snake got out or whatever? Yeah, that, that happens quite a bit. Um, there's... Um, there's there's house geckos and there's Italian wall lizards out in mm -hmm. the southeastern part of the there's state. There's house geckos up there. It's warm enough in or the no, summer. Not, not house gecko. There's um no. Like Mediterranean geckos. Yeah, uh, Mediterranean. Hemidactylus turcus or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, we have yeah, done here. Yeah. That's crazy. But they got up that north. They're tough as shit. Like I'm impressed. Yeah, Cause, well, because it's like six months where they can't be out here because it's just too cold they're yeah, only here sure. for like three months over the summer i'm, just I'm like, pretty sure if you click on species on there up at the top bar not in westmore yeah so they're living the in the city in philly because it's like warmer yeah the, i think that's overall yeah i think that's just fucking um, crazy really uh did i just skip it, the lizard section no it's it's down further I don't know. Sometimes like the, you know, the weedy species, I actually think they're badass. <laughs> like, there is a cool study. I yep. Yeah, oh, there there's is. a bunch of them. Yeah, him yeah that's what I mean. There's, se there's several species that have been, wow. I, put it this way, there's enough of them on there that we have them on that. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I didn't even know there was that many counties for them. We go, yeah. I mean, so the picture counts as a voucher. Yeah, it's got to be verified by th you know three different people on the this verification. Is cool. Like it looks nice too. Some states are, other states are doing this. They're just not as the website isn't as like formal and it's nice. Yeah, frankly, this this one is honestly it's 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 the best that I've seen of, of any states. Um, I'm pretty good friends with the the guy. Uh, Jason, who who's who does most of the the web uh, web type stuff on here, and yeah, he really does a great job. Um, and yeah, it's generally what what the what the main goal is. Like if you go back to the home page, it it shows you um, they, they want to get twenty five species per quad and ten species per block. Quadrangle, like the yeah official okay. Yeah. And, um, there it's, um, it, it's a pretty, you can see it's like almost half of the blocks are filled. And the, the problem with that is there's a lot of, even in Pennsylvania a state that has quite a bit of public land, there's a lot of ent entire quads that don't have any public land. Right. So you're limited to road cruising. 
like there's areas like right around my house that blocks that I haven't been able to get because it's all private land and it's all, you know, you can road cruise it, you know, till your, till your foot falls off, but sometimes it's just strip mines and cornfields mm-hmm. and you get in basically like a bullfrog and a garter snakes, the only thing right that you're going to get unless you really, really hammer it, you know, but you're surprised. It's surprising like what can turn up. And that's why, that's why it is that way because you just never know until you, you don't know what's common until you go out there and you don't know um, what the true range of some things are. Like we get a lot of, uh, um, a lot of cool records, but to go back to what you're saying about the rattlesnakes, like Pennsylvania, so they were doing a, a separate monitoring program for rattlesnakes. I don't know what the status of that is currently. Um, if you if you email the fishing boat, they should be able to point you into, a, or you email PARS, they should be able to point you into a more concrete direction than I can because I can't remember what the status of that program is. But um, Pennsylvania some people might not know this Pennsylvania is actually one of the few States that has a season for, for timber rattlesnakes because they have, uh, they've had these historically, they've had these roundups like they do, uh, like they used to have in the, or still do in the, in the Texas States. Yeah. Yeah. Morris is, is one of the roundups. Whenever I was a kid, I had a camp Well, I still have a camp up in Northern PA and there's generally a pretty good population of rattlesnakes in general in Pennsylvania, but in certain areas of the state, that's why they have uh, some of these roundups. And they used to be a big, you know, big redneck fest where everyone would, you know, it was a big party and they would have bagging contests where they dump them out of a bag in this little mm-hmm. makeshift boxing ring and people would see how fast they could pick them up like with their ants. And I, they would- I- Next to like the lat the besides Sweetwater, like the second largest roundup mm-hmm. now. They're fucking stupid. I don't even Yeah, it's it's crazy. I and, right? and back they then, bring rattlesnakes to like kids' parties and they're like have them headed, just headed the bloody holding the tail, and they're like I was like, Y'all are fucking idiots. And it's yeah. just like trashy. I it is, been, yeah. <laughs> it's like this is cool. I don't know. It's wild. And the DNR down here, their response to any sort of like, you know, like maybe this isn't environmentally sustainable or whatever is like, we just have a lot. So it seems fine. Yeah. (laughs) Basically (laughs) open bags for a long time during rattlesnake season on all four species down here. Except for maybe like one, like the Masasaga or something, something small. And then, but you can't barely keep any other natives or whatever. It's like, nah. Bull snake, nah. It's basically a pet. Fuck you. But you want to yeah. fucking murder as many rattlesnakes as physically <laughs> possible? Go right ahead, buddy. Yeah, it's a, it, and that's what it used to be like. And and back then they would have contests for like, you know, aside from the bagging competitions, they would have contests for bringing as many as you possibly can. And there was nothing like after you brought them in, do whatever you want with them, sell them, kill them all put them in, take them a hundred miles away and try to put them in an, another place. Um, Are y'all's camps near each other? 
wild. No, Wellsboro is um, probably t- uh, it's at least two hours from, from mm. where my camp is. Well, Wellsboro is starting to get to the part of the state where they s- start to peter out. Um, but yeah, they uh, since the 80s, well, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, people started being like, hey, you know what? I don't really see that many rattlesnakes anymore. <laughs> Surprise! I don't know why that is. So they did all these, you know, basically that's one thing that Pennsylvania has done right is, you know, even back then they were like, we're going to figure this out and we're going to do something about it. And they did. And they basically did, you know, a bunch of studies. They did some of the earliest telemetry studies were in the early eighties in Pennsylvania with with rattlesnakes where they actually, you know, surgically implanted transmitters. And they figured out that basically if you try to take them from an adult from one den to another, it does not like that. It'll just try to go back to its other one and eventually die. Mm-hmm. Um, they've that's recently some, done. Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say like, that's something people don't think about a lot. Cause a lot of snakes get relocated in everywhere. Like, yep. Oh, there's a venomous snake in my yard. Well, it doesn't matter if you relocate it, you might as well just kill it <laughs> because like, yeah, it's going to come back to where it knows it needs to be because it knows if it doesn't find like this rare habitat, which is a, a hibernacula of some kind, yeah. it will die. So it's going to do whatever it can to come back because it doesn't know it can find one where it is. Yeah, wherever yeah. you took it to, so it'll just try to come back. So it's like a it definitely yeah. either way. It might be fifty years old and it's been doing the same thing right for that long. So, but yeah, they. West uh, Jamie actually just did a study, a translocation study in West Virginia. And, uh, Dr. Um, Waldron, people yeah. may not know. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So whenever He's the new Jessica, herpetology yeah. uh, professor of Marshall. Yep. Everybody. <laughs> Sorry, we got a context clue. These. Yeah. These people. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. So they they recently just did one of one of those, and um, it it based off of other. And I think what what they were just trying to confirm was what we know about other translocation studies that they've done. And you can't you can somewhat sometimes get an adult to to stick, but you basically you have to translocate them like essentially like in November and put them at an area where you know other snakes are denning. Mm-hmm. So they don't really, so they don't have a choice to crawl around and, 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 and die. They, right. They'll just be like, I need to go underground right now. And if they survive, they essentially. It's imprint on the new den. Yeah. You're basically okay. tricking them into imprinting on, on a new den. Um, I think it, but then the issue becomes, will they find somewhere to forage after that? Cause sometimes they'll, as soon as they come out of the den, they'll just be like, guess I'll I'm, starve to death. <laughs> Yeah, it's homeward bound. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's tough, especially for, uh, you know, I, you did some work down in like, you know, the longleaf pine type area. Were, who was that with? Um, I didn't. Am I making stuff up? Or were you just you, down you there might for be fun? Thinking, Tim, I, I, I've, I've been down there for fun. Uh, mm-hmm. quite a few times to look for I was on your Instagram Diamondbacks yeah being nosy yeah I, I've also done a little bit of work in Alabama um, well, maybe that's what I'm thinking of yeah for gopher tortoise it was it was like a little 
I was essentially delineating wetlands and also looking for black pine snakes, hoping hopefully they would just like crawl out in front of me because they're kind of a hard thing to target and uh, go for tortoise burrows. Um, yeah, that was that's where that's, was the indigo at? That was in Georgia, I believe. For is that like a fun trip or work? That was that, that was fun time. All right, good. That is yeah. fun. Uh, yeah. do you, does Pennsylvania have Massasagas? Yes. In the West? Okay. Yes, we do. Not a whole lot. Um, Pennsylvania is on the edge of their range. Um, Are they a species of concern for Pennsylvania because it's the edge? They've been endangered since the 80s in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, they recently, just as of was it 2017, I think, were federally listed. They should have been fairly listed 30 years ago. Honestly, it's because they're a venomous snake that it, it took them so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I've done a little bit of work monitoring the construction monitoring for them and um, in Pennsylvania and a little bit in Indiana. And I just recently did a couple of habitat assessments for them in Michigan. Maybe I should explain what I do for work. Okay. <laughs> It's hard. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Go. Uh, well, going back to what I was saying about the, the rattlesnake telemetry, cause that's where all this started. Um, so I, I, I did, I worked on the rattlesnake telemetry study for a whole season after we, we were done with grad school. And, um, my, my boss at Penn state, he, also did consulting work on the side. And um, so he had contacts through there and a couple of people I worked with would do a little bit of consulting work on the side. And at that point in time, this was like 20, 2013, there was still a lot of the, the gas boom, the fracking boom was still pretty mm-hmm. uh, pretty big in, in Northern Pennsylvania. So for 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 rattles for timber rattlesnakes in Pennsylvania whenever they want to do development and especially back then if you want to put a pipeline in or a gas or a well pad or a solar farm or a wind farm in order to get a permit from the state you have to, you have to submit what you're doing and they come back and they put it through a database that has like all rare species from, you know, bog turtles to uh, small world, but like rare orchids, bats are a big one, fish, mussels, all of that. And they come back and they say, you have to do X, Y, and Z to get this permit. They have a certain distance buffer around rattlesnake hibernacula and rattlesnake gestation sites. Mm-hmm. So if you a lot of these lines and these well pads go through some of these areas with a lot of rattlesnakes. They might not go through an area where even though they're not like going to bulldoze a den, if they're in an area with a a lot of snakes, sometimes they'll just be like, Hey, you're all good, but you have to have a a timber rattlesnake construction monitor from April 15th to October 15th when you're doing construction. So basically what that person is, is if you're not permitted to handle a snake, 
they can't just have like random construction workers picking rattlesnakes up and moving them. It's mm-hmm. number one. It's not like it wouldn't technically be legal if, unless they had a permit and it was in season. And also they need someone, they want someone there to uh, make sure that other habitat is not being destroyed. So I got into doing that uh, timber rattlesnake monitoring up the, in Pennsylvania not just there, but really all over Pennsylvania, they, they will have it for various projects. Most of it is gas, but they will also do it for wind farms, solar farms, and, and like big power lines. Um, so is that a position paid by the state, paid by the company, paid by like an environmental consulting firm? Yeah. Like a 1099 or seasonal employee? Yeah. How does that work out? Yeah, it's almost always going to be a third party because, you know, if, you know, if the fish and if the state did it, it would technically be a conflict of interest as if Mm -hmm. also if the gas company did it, it would be a a conflict of interest. So a third party environmental consulting firm like the one I work for comes in and does it. Do you still work for one now? Yes, I do. Okay. So back then That's it fun. was, I, I worked for a smaller company and um, then I was 1099. So I kind of go back and forth between doing that during the season. And um, and then I started working. Well, first of all, I, I, I actually got a job with a nonprofit after that because it was just very unpredictable just doing snake monitoring because I'd wait around until April and be like, well, we don't have any work or like, oh, next week we have like two months of work and it's seven days a week. And that's, that's what you're going to do. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not to interrupt too bad, but like trying to string together enough income for a field work based tech or whatever of of any field, not just herpetology is hard. So good on you for trying (laughs) you don't know how many like ornithologists i met djing at fucking weddings and stuff and i'm like yeah they're like i couldn't i couldn't hack it i'm like bless your heart me neither okay (laughs) yeah it's tough it's and see like when i first started monitoring there was so much gas work that it you pretty much knew that you're gonna have a whole season worth worth of work Mm -hmm. and then gas prices went down and they stopped putting a lot of infrastructure in that area and they and they really haven't and basically since then they haven't uh really gone back there i still know i still have a couple friends that mostly still do snake monitoring in pa but it's not um i would not recommend it as as a career choice because there's just not a lot there um so what do you do for your current consulting firm so I, after that, I was, I, um, you know, David and Tim worked for this comp- company called ESI. David and Tim are two people that we went to grad school with mm-hmm. as well. And um, so they worked for ESI. At, at the time, they worked for ESI. It's a company out of Cincinnati. And that's who I still work for, Environmental Solutions and Innovations. Do they the, still work for, for them? It, and I guess we should tell people what they do. Uh, so they did muscle surveys, but I'm assuming they also do like stream 
delineation surveys and what what whatever right yeah yeah so stuff like that the stuff that's normal like you've fucked up a a tributary a one in (laughs) sixty four thousand tributary here's your fine here's where the stream was supposed to start or whatever right yeah so they they work for another company now um okay but i uh so what i do now is i didn't want to go back into consulting unless i could get a a full-time job so Mm -hmm. i'm full-time with this company i got hired whenever they had a lot of snake monitoring jobs in in west virginia actually but i said i you know i i want to i don't want to deal with the unpredictability i I want you know a full-time gig because they're a bigger a little bit bigger of a company they could do that so um so do you do like all of it yes I, i i'll do we we actually don't get a whole lot of of herp work because it's based off of what permits you can get mm-hmm. in, in various well, people different fuck states. up water more than they fuck up anything else. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's, yeah. So we do a lot of, my company does a lot of bat work. That's like mostly what mm-hmm. my company does is we have a lot of permits for, you know, like Indiana bats, Northern long ear bats mm-hmm. out in the Midwest. That's a very big, uh, a big thing, but also in the, in the Northeast as well. But now there's I mean, just not a lot of them left. Yeah, it's it's good and bad, but like they're very endangered, like federally. Yeah. So there's money to protect them and like yes. incentive to watch them. And so like this is something that's like really weird in particular about like monitoring and field work based jobs is you end up like sort of following the species or like trends that are dying but not dead yet. Yep. Mm-hmm. which is depressing in its own way right but like yeah like you, somebody needs to monitor something that's concerned like someone cares about but then you could be watching it decline in its range because there was a lot of bat money floating around even in my undergrad because they all had like what was it called white nose syndrome yep, or whatever nose. yeah yeah a lot of you know at this point we sometimes we can have trouble getting someone permitted for for Indiana bats because we don't have because you know it used to be you go out and net them on a certain project and you would see several it, and we and we still do in certain states mm-hmm. but um now so like you know in West Virginia it's it's not a very common thing to to get Indiana bats anymore and most of the northeast is like that now even so even more so now with the northern long ear bats you know that basically f- for those who are unfamiliar there's a a fungus called white nose syndrome that came from asia and whenever the bats get it bats that hibernate in a cave they will spread it throughout the cave because they'll there'll be you know ten there could be tens of thousands of them in one mm-hmm. cave of all species and it basically wakes them up out of hibernation they fly out of the cave and freeze to death um mm-hmm. so that's why a lot a lot of bats are rare now in the u.s and why a lot of caves are very um hard to get into did you get a pre-exposure rabies vax see i i actually don't do very much bat work so i don't ever need to get the i haven't got it um because i just 
I haven't worked enough projects where I'm going to be handling bats. So mm -hmm. I say that we don't get a lot of herp work, but like this past year I did pretty much mostly just snake monitoring in West Virginia and wood turtle monitoring. Mm -hmm. And, um, number one wood yeah, woodies. Yeah. And, uh, bet, and I, I, and I've been doing bird surveys pretty much all most of the summer for the last three years. So we, we were lucky enough to, to do the a lot string of together work. enough jobs. Is that like a seniority thing? Do you have to like fight for it? Like among uh, the techs or something? It's really just you, who, who's, whoever's qualified to do it most of the time. Okay. Where'd um, you do your woody work? So we did, uh, so in Virginia, wood turtles are state threatened. So mm -hmm. um, ha have a couple of projects out there where we do some stuff for them. One of them was a, it's a, it's a big, it's a power line rebuild. So um, see the, the thing is like with a lot of rare herp species, that are listed like in states in the Northeast, because look, most of the states in the South don't have a, a list. So unless it's fairly listed, like a black pine snake that they, they don't care, you can mm -hmm. do whatever you want. And they also don't have a lot of gas work down South in the Southeastern states where there's listed stuff. So like a, something like a power line rebuild, it was the power line was there, you know, 70, 60 years ago. So they don't have a choice, but, uh, to, to deal with a, a species that might be listed. Mm -hmm. So I was, I, so I was doing some monitoring for wood turtles and basically on the very Southern end of, of their range. Mm -hmm. Um, only ended up seeing one, the, the one girl who, who took over for me ended up seeing one on the road. That's, but, um, so you were just walking around looking for them period. Yeah. So like whenever I'd be snake monitoring or wood turtle monitoring, I go, and I hang out. So this is active construction. So say it's like a gas, like where I was monitoring this year or, or you know, most of the time when I was monitoring West Virginia, it's a big pipeline there. You know, the construction effort is huge. Like there might be like, I get to where they're meeting and there might be 50 people there with, you know, 10 excavators, bulldozers. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's a big operation. And my job is to like check and make sure there's no turtles under the excavators. Yeah. That or whatever happened. Yeah. That, that's more of a something for, for desert tortoises out West um, that they they're really big on. But for, and a lot of the older, older guys, they, they always want me to check all around their machinery and their machinery for, for rattlesnakes. They're all, oh, the, they think that you're like protecting them. Well, Which you kind of are, but like, yeah, kind of. They both, want you to but, be like, protect me. Yeah, yeah, but um, they, I, I think what they don't under, they think that, and I mean, how can you really blame them? No, who, who's going to teach them this? A lot of people think that at nighttime, snakes, once it gets cold, they crawl around and look for warm places. Like, so they're crawling in like the engine bay, and so yeah, like every yeah. night there's ten rattlesnakes crawling in there. Yeah, yeah. They don't understand. I think maybe in the old days, whenever the 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 machines were like not as efficient, and they it took them like two hours to cool down. Maybe that mm -hmm. was a thing. But it just uh, these most of those excavators are cooled down in like I don't know. I would say at least within a half an hour, but. Also, I have to explain to them, I'm like, when snakes are cold, they don't just crawl around. They don't have energy to crawl around. They just sit there. Mm -hmm. they, 
they just hunker down. They're not going to go looking around. They, and they're also not going to lay on top of like a big open steel thing that's going to be right they, they would need like thermal inertia to find yeah. a spot to warm up but they don't know that that spot is warm because they're yeah. not like instinctually geared into like oh motor vehicles have some sort of retained yeah yeah or i mean it's something that like i mean cats might do that but not a you know, sometimes snakes snake. are found like in people's hoods but i think that's just a snake just hiding it's yeah hiding exactly there yeah yeah i uh, have a guy yeah sorry emma it like the southern wood turtle range ends like shenandoah valley like mid shenandoah valley yeah i don't know like stanton or something what's the nearest city Pro yeah in that area generally like what mm -hmm. she said like the shenandoah valley um yeah they're they're generally a northern great lakes northeastern species right so every time we have a, a glacial event they're like fuck we gotta <laughs> go to georgia <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you see the, the fox snake paper where they're like there they used to be split by one glacial period and then they got split the wrong way so half of one subspecies is mixed in with the western one so like they got split once speciated split again and then the it, created like a disjunct population but the other population has both subspecies mixed into it uh, isn't that funny we're fucked science is fucked fuck. <laughs> yeah i i love thinking about the distributions of a lot of those um a lot of the species like in my free time i i just go out and try to look for stuff like i want to find new spots like i want to help it, it's in the map. number one well number one it helps the state know where things are so if someone wants to be like, Hey, we're going to build a Walmart here. I could be like, well, I found this there. Mm -hmm. um, it's, that's not how exactly how it works, but generally <laughs> like, um, but I also do it just to satisfy my own curiosity. Like the, the ranges of certain species, like literally keep me up at night, like Kirtland snakes, like all these glaciated species that don't really, or like Blanding's turtle, they like mm -hmm. are doing awesome in Nebraska and also in like, but they're also in like Nova Scotia and, uh, and like, it's weird how like stochastic it is. Cause when you see a range map, it's like, it looks like a continuous blob. Nah. Even if you like remove like human impacts, the environment is stochastic. The, like the the residual habitats left behind each post-glaciation event change mm -hmm. each time. So where these like temperate species end up is crazy sometimes. Yeah. To, like the, the glaciation has such a big effect that it's not just temperature. It's like they just bring in a bunch. It's like, for example, in Pennsylvania in Northwest Pennsylvania, there's a lot of um, the glaciers brought down a lot of, uh, sands and gravels and and certain types of rock and soil that is calcareous that wouldn't otherwise be there mm -hmm. brings up lots of different like special wetland communities and you know there used to be bog turtles up there and that's in the in the prairie peninsula from for the massasaugas and same thing with the kirtland snake there's like all kinds of weird stuff going on not just the temperature and 
people also think of like the glaciers as being like, uh, you know, it being like the day after tomorrow, but we really don't know what it was like. Like, um, I talked to a guy that was, that, um, used to look for a lot, used to look for Massasaugas a lot in Pennsylvania. And he was talking about the possibility of them being in areas like, you know, a couple miles from the glaciers, like what, mm-hmm. like there was a point where the glaciers were growing so fast, like accreting so fast that uh-huh. it was like plains ice sheet yeah like that's like a mile fast. high right so like <laughs> that's like a weird like ice age joke that that just did happen and and yeah. eventually like the planes would die back and it would go to tundra or whatever but like there was points where it was very fast so like yeah, yeah your little woody could have come up to that and been like what the fuck is this and then <laughs> walked away right it's yeah. crazy um and, uh, yeah the yeah. um and, and also we don't know what the temperature was like like we think of it maybe being as like um you know just cold all the time but it might have just been uh i think some people think that it was basically like really mild like it might have just been like 50 to 60 degrees year round Mm -hmm. or not like you know you might think of it being like negative 50 in the winter and like just a little bit warmer in the summer, but we really don't know what a lot of the weather mm-hmm. was like back then. Like the fossil record is actually fucking nuts. Like, cause we have old boas in the East coast and coral snakes just like 10 million years ago. So it was like really warm, like 10 million years ago. And then we, we have these like interglacial fans and like the speed of them is really fast. And we're still technically in a glaciation period. Don't tell still... people that. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Do you like board lines uh, or flipping natural objects to find species? Road cruising. What's your favorite technique for? Let's go with snakes first. Yes, they're all different. Um, <laughs> so for for timber rattlesnakes in the Northeast, um, generally the way I target those is looking for areas with open canopy in the middle of a bunch of closed can. So like. If you have an area where there's not a lot of where, where the the forest is old and mm-hmm. um there's not a lot of openings if if rattlesnakes are there they're gonna the gravid females in the shedding and, and all of the other snakes that are shedding in june will kind of flock to areas like uh you know the edge of a gas line or something like that where it's rocky they can get sun but they can also escape Mm-hmm. So that's different from the South where there's no rocks or there's no hillsides. So down South, it's mostly road cruising or finding, you know, abandoned farms to dig through tin and, and garbage or whatever. Right. Like the resource is like specificity is not as t- tight in the South. So that's why yeah. people are like, yeah, you should road cruise. I'm like, you can road cruise all day and you'll see toads in like West Virginia sometimes unless it's like something going on because they're the snakes are like very specifically moving from their hibernacula to wherever they eat no matter the species almost and like that's all they do they're not roaming around aimlessly because all the temperature is pretty good all the time so they're not Mm -hmm. interacting with roads as yeah i i hate i i loathe road cruising i i hate it i like you get bored yeah because 
and also it's it's not just about like it being boring but also like i want to see us when i want to see a species i like to see it in the wild in its environment i i would rather not ever even disturb it mm-hmm. and that's the nice thing about rattlesnakes is a lot of times you don't have to like you can see you know because the gravid females are more predictable so they can be in an area they might use the same area year after year and you can go and just sit there and watch them and watch them sitting there out. Like if the weather is good, if the time of year is good, they, they might just sit there, you know, a couple of different ones and just hang out all day. And you could sit there and watch them or you could sit there and watch a male crawl up and like sniff around and mm-hmm. figure out that they're, they're not good. <laughs> He's got to go somewhere else. These ones are taken. Right. Well, rattlesnakes are like surprisingly cool. I think people think, I maybe like Western diamondbacks are different because they're like little shits, but timbers are like, you could sit down next to them and like vibe. Yeah. To me, I, like every time one I've ever seen is even if they start to rattle a little bit, they're like, oh, whatever. They just sort of give up. <laughs> yeah. I found vibing. a spot. I found a spot in West Virginia recently. It's one of the better spots I've found where like there's a bunch, you know, there's all kinds of snakes that are hanging out and um, most of the spots on your Instagram. Keep talking. Yeah. Somewhere. Um, I have all kinds of rattlesnake pictures on there, but um, I just want to find a picture of them vibing. Yeah. Yeah. So the, a lot of the spots in Pennsylvania, this varies very much from 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 place to place and um if you go on my flick yeah yeah like like like, i can sit eye level and just watch those those Mm -hmm. things you know like a lot of spots in pennsylvania the snakes are very skittish and i don't know if that has to do with because there's a hunting season for them there or there's um more predators because there's spots in New York where they're very chill and they don't rattle. They, they oh. like most spots in Pennsylvania. Once you get within thirty yards, they rattle and they went on, and they go under a rock and they're not coming back out for like. You might have to sit there for an hour before they come back out. But other spots you go like like the spot the one spot I was at in West Virginia. Like I can go there and sit, and most of the snakes don't rattle. Um, the ones that do go under come back out within five minutes. They're all just like right. moving around. You, as long as you're not like, or like, like making a like, lot of movement. And yeah, and like or like grabbing at them. Like mm-hmm. if you're just chill and you sit there and you you can actually watch them do some pretty cool stuff. Um, mm-hmm. That's why. And so, like knowing that I can go to a spot and do that makes it a lot less. Uh, intriguing for me to go and road cruise and have to just see it on pavement and scare it the hell off the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I see, but the areas that I go and herp in, I can afford to do that. If I lived in, if you're in the South, you just don't have, you don't have a choice for a lot of species, depending on what time of year you're, you're out. Mm-hmm. Cause they're not as tightly compacted in, in the landscape. Yeah you, yeah, you have to cover a lot of ground to like your their your unit catch per man hour is not good if you're not covering yeah. a lot of ground. But for some species, like 
the survey, pro, like the official protocol, like to officially go out and do a survey that will um, be for like, say a company wants to go out like, or like this project I was on in Indiana, like a railroad project for certain species, like the Kirtland snake, that is the best way to find them is to flip them under boards mm-hmm. or garbage or, or whatever. So the official survey protocol is in order to figure out if, if this species is here for Kirtland snake, you have to go out and put X amount of boards per acre and check them X amount of times before we are confident that you're not going to kill a bunch of them. You know, mm-hmm. it's always, it's always presence, probable absence. Cause it's really hard to, you know, for some species like a Kirtland snake to know whether or not they're actually not there. Yeah. Which is, I don't know. It's still kind of cool that like there are whole species that everyone ignores and are doing fine. <laughs> But then yeah. if they disappear, you don't know that they disappeared because you didn't know they were there in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Like I do a lot of, I spend a lot of time. It's it's probably like, uh, could be considered like self-masochism, but I spent a lot of time looking for Kirtland snakes in Pennsylvania, which haven't been seen in the state since 1969. Um, what counties were they recorded in? Mostly the Pittsburgh metro area um very random okay yeah well yeah i mean some of the some of the best areas to find them now are are in like cities in the midwest like in in the ghetto um Hmm. vacant lots and i say this you know obviously they get beat up by like atrazine like greens and stuff too because they eat bugs kirtlands are uh they're of not they're uh what's the right word I'm looking for? Um, enigma. They, they will live in the most pristine bog or, or wetland like up in Michigan or Ohio or Indiana. And then they will be like in a ditch in a cornfield in the middle of, of nothing in, in the middle of Ohio or whatever. And then they will be like in the hood in Cincinnati in like a wet, That's funny. like but a nobody wet knows pile why. of garbage. No, is it, are they like a post-glacial problem animal? Yeah. Like they got scoured from the earth and it's just relictal yeah. populations. So the in a lot of places are really associated with crayfish burrows, but in some areas like um like in down in Kentucky and Ohio, they're more associated with like limestone, uh like karst. Um mm-hmm. they just are underground underground a lot and the only thing that we can figure out they like is wet and grass. Um, that's like the only thing that's like a constant unless they're probably worms? just worms, worms. All right. But, you know, a lot of people don't realize that prior to the Europeans coming over here, we didn't have a whole lot of worms. Most earthworms that you see are non-native. Right. That's true. And some of them are like really bad invasive. Like, I think that's one of the, one of the big reasons like there there's certain hillsides in Pittsburgh you look up you're like man that's weird for be, that being the woods i don't see a whole lot of leaf litter up there it's mm-hmm. cuz those goddamn worms devoured all of it yeah most of new england shouldn't have any worms period cuz it should have yeah. been post glacial no worms uh you familiar with the shorthead garter snake 
No. It's so it's a species that almost is probably a hundred years ago. It was endemic to Pennsylvania. Um, if not very small portions of, of New York. So it's a worm eater and um, it only lived up in like Northwestern, North central Pennsylvania and um, in the high plateau. But since then it's, it's expanded like into Ohio and New York and there's some introduced populations of it. Like there's one in, in Pittsburgh, like a smaller introduced population that they're really cool. Um, and it's not something where were really they native here. to? Oh, they're just like further north, Pennsylvania. But they were native to further north, and they expanded down. No, no, they they were always found in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. And but they're um, a worm eater where there's no native worms or few native worms. Yeah, that's the thing is like they probably were a so they're very similar morphologically to the Butler's garter snake which mm -hmm. is a species that's out and probably also the plains garter snake. Those are species out in Ohio. Um, they, I mean, they just look like a regular garter, but they have like no neck. Uh, do they like snails slugs? Yeah. Cause usually that's like a, an easy substitute. I think so. There, there's an interesting paper about the, um, there's a guy up in Erie that, uh, that studies them quite a bit and um, is looking at different species of like the distribution of different earthworms up there and um, distribution of short-headed garters. Very interesting stuff. It, it's um, it might see like a lot of people kind of think of the Southeast as this Mecca of herp herping, which, you know, it is, there's a lot of really cool stuff down there, but I think, you know, a species like the short-headed garter is very, um, underrated it's like mm -hmm. essentially a an endemic for this area uh, yeah what about what where do you want to herp that you haven't herped yet in maybe the u.s or the world i guess like do you want to do west texas people like beat off west texas so hard this is yeah this is gonna sound like kind of weird for a herp person but I, there's not a whole lot of like if I had, you know, a month of perfect weather to go look for stuff, I would like probably go to West Virginia and look for green salamanders to figure out exactly what their range is. I that's just the way my my brain is wired. Maybe it's I all think, right. Tell because, people what green salamanders are. They don't know. They don't know how weird they are. Um probably. I'll get a picture. You talk. But to answer your question before, if I could go anywhere, it would probably be like Peru, the Amazon, Andes. Mm. That, that that's has the coolest like pit fight. Like I, I think all those pit vipers and stuff are cool. And there's just a lot of cool stuff down there. I mean, I'd love to see a Bushmaster. I mean, come on. But uh, yeah, I think because I'm so limited because of my work, it puts me in areas where I get like really obsessed with one or two speed. Like I'm really obsessed with timber rattlesnakes, green salamanders, spotted turtles, wood turtles, and Kirtland snakes. Like that's what occupies most of my mind. Mm -hmm. um, so with, with, with green salamanders, so they're the only Aeneides climbing species in the East. There's a couple other species out West, but they're, they're, 
confined to the Appalachians, but they have like, like there's a disjunct population that was just discovered, like, I don't know, 10 or 20 years ago in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Um, they go from, so Pennsylvania is a very Northern extent of their range. So I'm, I'm constantly looking for areas where they could be in Pennsylvania that they haven't been found yet. And, um, they're just because they only live. So they generally live in big rock outcrops, but they also go up into trees, especially in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, which you don't think of when you think of the Eastern U S like the, you know, the Neody species in, in the Pacific Northwest, you know, they live in like redwoods and like huge trees that you would think like, Oh, I would expect the salamander to live in that tree. That's like as big as a skyscraper, but for what we don't realize that, you know, 99% or whatever of, of the old growth forests in the U S Eastern U S is, is gone. So we really don't know what these things were doing in an old growth for a true vast tracts of, of old growth forest. Um, so they could right. be in areas. With chestnut trees that yeah. were rivals of redwoods in yeah. size, you know? So like it made sense that we had a species like that here too. But yeah. I think people I... forget that like the Eastern deciduous forest is a, like kneecap both knees have been shotgunned out and now it's like trying to figure out what to do with itself (laughs) 100 years later (laughs) yeah and because we don't really know like are they truly does this species really only like rocks and sometimes goes into trees or do they are they completely fine in rocks or trees but we only find them in rocks now because that's all that's left so they could be in it. So it's, it's possible that they could be in areas where there's very few rocks, but it's been overlooked because people are like, Oh, there's, there's not enough rocks there, but they could have been there, right. you know, a hundred years ago, they were just hanging out in trees and you might completely miss them. And that area might be like, it, it might be an area that might get developed and we don't, you could lose them and you don't even know it. So mm. that's part of my reason for um wanting to find them (laughs) also also because i just think they're really cool i mean look at them right here's the little indiana disjunct it's very strange that that would happen just magically obviously glaciational whatever fuck but this was all like a squirrel could jump you know uh (laughs) yeah you know there's obviously we're native uh fucking people down here burning and having fun having cool stuff but like in the north there were less native tribes so they weren't doing as much controlled burns so like there were a lot of big ass trees yeah they -hmm. basically would burn like entire counties and be like all right we're gonna leave that area for a couple years until the blueberries come up then we're gonna go hunt there (laughs) that was all west virginia was yeah like moundsville people live there but nobody lived in the middle that was like hunting ground that they that bigger better tribes fought over and burned (laughs) <laughs> yeah you like you probably should go back to that let's just be honest i mean looking for green salamanders it's like crawling you know spend a lot of time crawling through rhododendron and like greenbrier up in rocks it's like native americans didn't want to do that either right <laughs> completely, like nobody wants <laughs> nobody wants to walk through that shit except for like weirdos like me so have they, you ever seen a chestnut 
tree that wasn't a hybrid intentionally planted, but just like saw one. Like oh yeah, I see them. I, I see them pretty often. Okay. Um, I know there's like a you, chestnut registry too. Like if you find one, you can like geo tag it. I mean, it's rare to see it like a true native chestnut that's bigger than like right because they get uh, killed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because they all have the blight, and which I didn't know this um, until a couple years ago that the blight is in oak trees everywhere around them that's why they get it as soon as they right come away up. right yeah oh. but it doesn't affect those oak trees fuck oak um, trees <laughs> yeah kill them all but it, yeah chestnut in certain uh. parts of virginia there's like like you can go into the blue ridge and um and the shenandoah mountains in, in virginia and see like like sometimes the understory is completely dominated by American chestnut saplings. Like, is it? Like, I've been oh, to the yeah, arboretum yeah. down there, like, and looked at their like chestnut collection or whatever the fuck. But I've never. They'll go yeah. up to like, yeah, if you're like in Christiansburg or Stanton or any any of those little towns along the western uh, part of Virginia, if you go up into the mountains on like a south facing slope or a west facing slope it's all chestnuts that's it's good all chestnut. tip. yeah like i've been like done skyline drive like stopped at different spots hiked my buddy used to work at shenandoah national park as like an invasive species pesticide sprayer yeah so we used to go down there and, like hang out but i didn't never hung out that's a good tip if anybody's an east coaster you want to go see chestnuts before they're all even more dead i don't know well they have a gmo one that's that has a lot of potential but what the problem is now the problem is that everyone thinks gmos are like the devil so mm -hmm. they don't want to put these g there, there's a lot of regulations <laughs> there's a lot of regulations that i should make are it a, a banner yeah yeah there's a lot of regulations preventing them from releasing this g this essentially blight resistant gmo chestnut i mean you don't think the hybrids are good enough what, what, are, the, what are people's thoughts these days um there so the american chestnut foundation and suny esf are two two of the places that do a lot of research on them and from what i understand you'd have to look more into this but i think they're essentially they've given up on, okay, on the hybrids i mean it's been yeah. going on for like 20 years where they like this was kind of good and then, well, yeah, they they've gotten to where they they have fifteen sixteenths American Chinese, and they're and they're still getting the blight. Okay, so. here's a fucking question: What if we just got the Chinese one? Would it be that bad? It's the, the see the Chinese one is, it, it's it it doesn't it's more of like a I think it's more of like an open canopy one. Oh, it's not. It's short. It does it doesn't get as tall. The nuts are oh, the nuts are I think the, the nuts, nuts are, are no good. Bigger. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Tell me more but, about their nuts. Yeah, I'm in. I I just don't think I, I think that if they would be a good species that would be in the woods, they probably would have. They probably would be everywhere by now. You you would think. I don't know. It's always been like weird to me. Like I, I there was an ecosystem service. A GMO one would be fine. Fuck it. Yeah, I. It, they're like my dream is that I will be alive someday where they're just dropping like millions of chestnuts, chestnuts, of out, chestnuts. Of, out of helicopters, like a B-52 bomber or something, just like 
oh, there's a clear cut. Yeah. I mean, the, it, it sucks that they aren't doing it right now because we, I, I think that from what I understand, we have them and they're ready to go. There's just, um, just basically bureaucratic red tape that is preventing it. I could be wrong. I, I'm not an expert on this by any means, but um, I mean, I guess there's a question like a Jurassic Park type question. Even could, if human beings fucked it up to begin with, are we allowed to do what is essentially like ecosystem engineering using a keystone species, but one that we changed? Are we allowed to? I don't know. This is a stupid ethical question. Like, obviously, we fuck shit up constantly, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, much like cyanobacteria ends up in like West Virginia streams, we're like brewing up the next big dinoflagellate disaster every day, and nobody gives oh. a fuck. Uh, oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, a GMO tree that's resistant to blight to, to make eastern deciduous horse something yeah. like what they were would be sweet to me i think it has probably. a yeah i think it has a gene from wheat in it that that is giving it or they deleted right. one i can't remember who knows okay. it's all yeah. right i don't know what to do it is very seasonal though i'm glad chestnuts came up i think it's the yeah. thing people like forget about and then it just like it doesn't matter i guess because like it people have a problem of, like you know, we have this much development and this many subdivisions come in and everything was pretty good when I was little. Mm -hmm. It's been like in shittification of the eastern seaboard for a long time. Some things yeah. have improved, like, you know, like fucking white-tailed deer were almost endangered. Yeah. Now they're good. Go ahead and shoot the They're rats. <laughs> they're you have to kick that. them out of your way on the way out the door. Get. Yeah. But. There aren't a lot of trees that basically like red maple is the only tree that isn't being ha have some kind of thing affecting it. Like gypsy moth is is hammering a lot. Like last couple of years have been bad, real bad for for gypsy moth and, and PA and some parts of West Virginia. Um, there, it it, can't, it does create good rattlesnake habitat sometimes, but the problem is that then all the oak trees are dead. So the chipmunks and mice have nothing to eat. So the gravid female or the, so the females take like 10 years to get gravid or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's um, yeah. And then the hemlock woolly adelgid is, is killing a lot of hemlock trees and that's that, that can fuck up the streams mm -hmm. that can fuck up all kinds of stuff. Um, nothing. Yeah. That, yeah. The happening. Oh my God. That's not going to happen. I wish something would have happened in that movie. <laughs> the movie uh, was the worst. I I'm saw it in theaters. Me too. I'm sad date. I paid money yeah. for it. Yeah. Whatever. What are you going to do? Um, so someone asked a question before about the venom. Yeah. You talk room. about that. I'm going to go to the Bonio. Yep. This woman, woman yep. problems. All right. <laughs> um, what was the question about different kinds of venom for different areas that they're in? I, I, I seem to remember someone asking with, with timber rattlesnakes. So they have uh, a hematoxic venom. So it essentially destroys red blood cells as opposed to uh, a neurotoxic venom that affects that 
goes straight to the nervous system and essentially what neurotoxic venom does is it targets the diaphragm it wants to paralyze the diaphragm so whatever it's, it's eating can't breathe um so cobras all the elapids they all have neurotoxic venom all the pit vipers have hematoxic venom but there are some rattlesnakes that have that also have neurotoxic venom um several of the ones out west like the mojave rattlers and um and then in the east the eastern diamondbacks they have uh it's called a type b venom in the east or the or the mojave venom it's been a while since i've read up on this so i'm kind of rusty on it but the gist of it is there are some species like um when i was saying before about the cane breaks and the timbers some of the cane breaks in the southeastern u.s have this type b and neurotoxic venom as well as the hematoxic venom and generally the way venoms work with snakes is that it's like an arms race between the prey they want to kill the venom's job the job of venom is to kill or subdue their prey before it has a chance to hurt the snake so it probably has something to do with um bigger prey items some people think it has to do with cane breaks eating more gray squirrels um in the southeast but yeah that's one of the things that's different about cane breaks from timbers but i don't know if there's i have i'm not super up to date on the research there could be like montane like uh actual timber rattlesnakes that that have type type b venom as well i don't know it, it wouldn't surprise me um venom also varies wildly based on the diet of a snake based on the last time it ate and the type of prey that it's eating so you could get a like if you're bit by a random timber rattlesnake in the woods how that's venom affects you there's a lot of variables number one if you're allergic to the venom like you would be allergic to a, a bee that's about the worst thing that can happen then you can go into anaphylactic shock and um a lot of the cases of people dying of humans dying from from wild timber rattlesnake bites which happens very rarely like an actual it's called a legitimate bite from a venomous snake with a, a timber rattlesnake happens very rarely because they're generally pretty docile like the ones in the northeast like you really have to mess with them most of the time in order to get them to bite you now that doesn't mean that you could just go up to a random snake and pick it up what do you mean <laughs> you never know <laughs> i know i i mean i see idiots free handling them and i'm just that's like, like most what? bites period yeah, yeah. alcohol testicles yeah and or, and, or church <laughs> or church <laughs> yeah. um yeah but uh what was i gonna say um it really depends like if you're just walking in the woods or on a trail like the chances of one biting you it's very it, like even in the densest populations of rattlesnakes i mean i've walked I i've go out sat down next to one I've stepped on didn't. them. <laughs> I like stepped that's on, it. like when I've been, that's when awesome. I was doing telemetry, I'd be like, 
I'm like standing there with the antenna being like, I know it's Where here somewhere. It? Oh, it's under my foot. And it didn't even, it didn't even rattle. Like some of them are just, some of them are just weird like that. My video's lagging out a little bit. Yeah, mine is too. That's bit. all right. Uh, Wait. where's the weirdest uh, place you've seen a baby rattlesnake? Like, you know, they're like kind of semi arboreal. Like, uh, how high above your head have you seen them? I've seen them. Yeah, the, you will see the juveniles, especially. There was a site where there was like a rock outcrop. It was when I was doing telemetry. Um, real steep cliff which is pretty common for these um, gestation sites where rattlesnakes hang out because they're like, if the rock is high, if the cliff is high enough so that trees can't get above it, then it's open and there's lots of blueberry bushes around it and places for them to hang out. And um, yeah, so it was a real steep drop off with rhododendron hanging down and there were several, uh, young of the year rattlesnakes hanging out in the rhododendron. Mm -hmm. Then there was another spot I know like that that had rhododendron hanging down and I've seen like copperheads and young rattlesnakes like crawling through the rhododendron hanging out like that. It's um, it's kind of crazy. But yeah. I mean it's not crazy. They're 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 a lot of like truly terrestrial adults have like a semi-arboreal baby to utilize like heat yeah resources uh -huh. like it makes sense it's just people don't think about it like they could be running their hands on like a fucking laurel bush yeah and dropping little rattlesnakes down just kind of yeah, like aware of what you're doing yeah like probably the most risky thing you could do to like actually legitimately accidentally get bit by a rattlesnake is like picking blueberries and like fuck blueberries is what you're saying <laughs> i mean i love i I, I've picked blueberries in areas where I know there's a lot of rattlesnakes. Yeah. So it's, I mean, if you're paying attention, you should be fine. But yeah, anyway, I, we were also doing telemetry and we had a snake that was like 50, it spent, it was a postpartum female and it spent like most of the summer, like 15 feet up in a, in a pitch pine tree. But post pasturition female. Yeah, like it, it it was gravid the previous year, gave birth the previous year. What was she doing up in that tree? I, I would like to know. <laughs> I, I think that some parts, so that part of, of PA has quite a bit of um, of red squirrels or pine squirrels. And oh, so she learned maybe that she could hunt them if she just hung out in the crook of a tree. I think so, because I don't know why... A, because postpartum females like so after so it takes rattlesnakes or timber rattlesnakes in the northeast a really long time like they average especially females like six to seven years before they're mature sexually mature mm -hmm. and then after they are gravid and give birth it takes at least two to three years for them to be gravid again sometimes like five um because they don't eat the whole time that they're gravid they just focus on like they they need to give birth with enough time to forage before going back into hibernation in order to like have a really good chance of surviving mm -hmm. so that's why they need to ha have that high temperature throughout the summer and whenever they and even whenever they do come back out of hibernation you could see like the loose skin you know it's like um after someone gets 
gastric bypass surgery. They, that's kind of what the snake will look like with these loose skin folds. And um, for a postpartum female to not be foraging after, you know, the year after like that, I would think that if it was up in that tree because it was it was foraging for something. Otherwise, it would have been it would have been dead. I, it would have been dead very, very soon. Uh, was it dead? No. Did no, you see it alive I, after that? Like, what, did a hawk yeah, drop its it. carcass in the tree? <laughs> no, we followed it. it okay. It, it went into a den afterwards. So, yeah. I mean, you would think, I don't know. Obviously, like some vipers become bird specialists and get faster and faster acting venom. Mm-hmm. And so they're not doing that yet. But there's a lot of birds that are like, leaf litter birds oh yeah like thrushes and toeys and shit they could take a toey or thrush or something whenever i was tracking snakes we'd i mean like constantly come across oven birds there and uh black-throated blue warblers they're ground nesters um worm-eating warblers you come across them all the time like very close to where the 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 rattlesnakes are take the chicks yeah uh because they can't run away i would yeah probably maybe like when they're a fledgling and they're just kind of bopping around and they're more exposed right and then well then they can like track them after they bite them you know yeah without them flying yeah because that's the whole thing is like for those who don't know like they they don't just like bite them and hang on and and swallow them they bite (laughs) them and just right that's dangerous yeah exactly yeah uh, Lisa yeah. asks, uh, do timbers have huge communal hibernaculum like prairies or norpacks do? It depends on where they are at. Um, so it depends on the geology of the area. In part, there are certain parts of the Appalachians that have like um, uh, like a, a granite geology that doesn't have a lot. It's very hard geology, hard rock that doesn't have a lot of openings in it. Um, in spots like that, where there might be, you know, only a couple of like suitable holes for them to get down into, to get blow, they just need to get the blow the frost line, but they also have to have, um, some kind of moisture. So mm-hmm. like dehydration is a big thing with, with hibernate. I'm sure, sh- I'm sure a lot of, a lot of anyone who know who keeps snakes that puts them into hibernation probably knows this. Yeah. Um, we have to give them water. Because they'll yeah. just like dry out, right? So yeah. they have to sort of be awake. They're like awake enough to know to go to drink yeah. a little mm-hmm. sippy of water. So they need to have like, it's almost always some kind of southerly facing slope in the Appalachians where you have that high temperature, but you also have to have some kind of access to water we really don't know what they exactly they need because we don't know what it looks like underground we can just infer certain things indirectly based on what it looks like on the surface dens can be can be very challenging to find Mm -hmm. yeah like certain geologies that don't have a lot of openings or it's not that suitable you could have several hundred uh, timbers in one den um most of the spots though where you know in the central appalachians and pa the a lot of the places where they're still really abundant where, where there's really good populations it's usually because there are some 
resource that is uh, abundant. Like a lot of those places, a lot of the places with that, that geology I was talking about with like that granite type geology, a lot of them have like really open rocky knobs where there's a ton of open canopy stuff where gestation habitat is not limiting at all. Like mm -hmm. they don't have a problem finding that, but they might have a problem finding it then. Then there are other areas like a, a lot of places in Pennsylvania where the geology for denning is really good. Like you have these sandstone talus, talus type slopes it might be underlined by some kind of softer geology where the water comes off the hillside, hits the sandstone and it seeps down and just trickles and makes these little mm -hmm. bunch of good little spaces for them to hibernate and they could hibernate like basically at a certain point in elevation, they could hibernate like anywhere on a South or Southwest facing slope, but the gestation site habitat might be limiting. How so, much do your timbers share with other snake species or they uh, tend the to time. pick ones? Okay. They don't care. I, most dens that I've found, you always, you almost always see rat snakes, racers, garters, copper. If there are copperheads in the area, they're almost always in the same den. Um, usually hog noses, hog noses can make their own den essentially if the mm -hmm. soil's right. And if they're not probably not going to be there if the soil's not right. Um, but yeah, always rat snakes, racers, copperheads and garters. I, I have some cool pictures of like, garter snakes like laying out on top on your instagram of, on my flicker flicker bro yeah, who I flickers know. now it's the fucking I, do, I don't that's what i mean like i haven't posted a new picture on there in like i don't know seven years or something but i used oh, to have a lot shit. of pictures on there um but yeah I, i'm not that familiar with like the norpax and the in the in the prairies but from what i understand it's it's a similar situation where the the hibernacula habitat is limited. So that's why they're all in one area. Right. It's kind of crazy. And it, and it means like each young of the year. Like all of them there. Like, yeah, they have to follow them backwards. They have to know like rattlesnakes are born maybe near it. Maybe, maybe not. It depends if it's at the denning site or not. But like a baby pantherophis is born fuck all in like a tree stump somewhere. Yeah. It has to know that it should smell adults fleeing a particular direction because that is the only hibernacula maybe within a couple hundred acres yeah. around. Otherwise they're dead. Yeah. That's fucking magical. And yeah. they'll, they'll follow sympatric species that aren't their species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they how do they do that? Know. That's crazy. We don't know. <laughs> they're Magnets. talking to each other with their little tails or something. They have a magnet in their in their brain. I don't know. Um, but they have to do it over and over again every generation. And I, I'm I'm sure most of them like fucking freeze to death and die, right? But enough of them know to follow back, like yeah, they some adult to somewhere. Hopefully, the adult you follow isn't stupid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, the, and I've seen a lot of this with, it was like, this is one of the things that telemetry was really nice for, like, cause we had several gravid females that had transmitters in them and you see them like mid August start to leave 
sometimes some of them would leave some of them would give birth at the gestation site it seemed like mo a lot of them would leave and they would give birth in an area with more cover so i think it has something to do with predation mm -hmm. as well as getting closer to the den so i do you think babies eat between birth oh, and going down yeah definitely because they they I think it's pretty imperative for them to shed prior to going into into hibernation. Like their second shed, like their post, like they, they'll have a postnatal shed. And the, you mean you think they need to grow enough to have the second shed? No, it it is the postnatal shed. Okay, but they, I think they feed enough so that they will get so that. Uh, I, it really depends. You know, like on woodies and shit can yeah. like overwinter in there. They have enough yolk or whatever. That yeah. They can, be stuck in their nest over winter it's fine or they could emerge if temps were good either of those options totally cool totally fine and so yeah. for the snakes that take a long time to get ready they're not necessarily burning a ton of energy if it's cold enough when they're born so could they go down after well, one shed and never have eaten at all in like the northern part of the range anyway i think they they probably could um I think it would depend on how healthy the female was. Um, mm. She was given really, enough good juice to the babies. Yeah. That's why it's really important for the female to get as fat as possible. And um, that's why like things like acorn, like hard mast numbers uh, that affect the, the small mammal population are very um, imperative can you imagine how like big the rattlesnakes snakes would be if we had chestnut trees? Exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. Have you seen male combat in timbers or I have seen it. Thing? Okay. You want to talk about that? Was it cool? How do you feel? Yeah. So I've only seen it like full on uh, one time. Um, unfortunately, it was an air. It was like in dense, like dark rhododendron. So I, my, the pictures were essentially useless. Um, I've seen it like close to happening other times. Uh, it's, you know, so they, they lock up most pit vipers do it. There's not a lot of officer, like some snakes, like, um, I don't know, like, like with like dusky pygmies, like pygmy rattlers. I don't know if there's a whole lot of observations of them doing it. Mm -hmm. There's a pretty popular video that was going around of a copperhead and a cotton mouth going at it. Fighting. Yeah. Um, was that on? TikTok. It, it was it was years ago. I remember seeing it. Listen, as we're uh, a multimedia podcast, we can do it. Keep yeah, talking. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, most people when they see it, it's it's timbers, and it's usually some random person doesn't know anything about snakes sees it, and they're like, "Oh my god, they're mating!" And uh, <laughs> it's so beautiful. But it's really cool. Uh, I, I've seen it at a gestation site where a, a male was trying to it was trying to court a f several gravid females that were obviously very non-receptive mm -hmm. and there was a smaller male there and it ended up um wrap it ended up trying to mate with the male's head and it got pissed and it sorry it, the it quality is not good uh but was i right is that a copperhead animal? yeah 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 it's funny I mean, there's probably the stink of both of them all around these yeah. tins. And so they're just like, I'll fight, whatever. It's fine. 
but they do hybridize every once in a while in this. Oh style. yeah, uh -huh. You'll, yeah, yeah. Have you seen the 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 Cambrake uh, Eastern Diamondback hybrids? No. <laughs> yeah, there's one. Or there's one that popped not... up in the there's one that popped up in the wild a, a couple years ago down there. I think they actually did telemetry with it. Does the loser run away depressed or yeah. okay? Very shame, very shameful. <laughs> um, I don't yeah, know what's with the lag get, right now. Oh, during well. the uh, looks good now. Um, all right, I, I'm lagged out. It's all right. Nobody cares what we look like, like anyway. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to see me. Um, yeah. The uh, during the breeding season, though, the 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 males can get like kind of weird and um you yeah. can put a stick up or some or your hand or whatever and they'll get like they'll rise up to you it's I, so I, they'll try to fight a stick like combat yeah. a stick That's or funny. or you or you sometimes like <laughs> I, like your foot they, they just get they just get like roid rage like like jersey shore like style all broed out and like They'll they'll come up once they realize that you're not a snake. They get like you could tell they just like psh, they get like pissed and they're and they're done. But I've had so this like, is Aatrox Hortus hybrid. Is there another another one? There was a yeah Adamantius. I saw the picture of it when you when you searched it. Oh fuck! This one. Yeah, oh, I think that's it. They look cool. Oh Don't yeah. Tell anybody cool I said looking. that. <laughs> uh, oh, it doesn't want to look. All right, yeah. It's yeah, funny, exactly. like how, like in snakes, I don't know if you knew this, like in captivity, we can do terrible things. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Lampropeltis and uh, the artist formerly known as Alafe. Uh, yeah. That's they fucking eat each other, but you can trick them into all kinds of stuff, <laughs> you know. Well, so, yeah, they get bored enough, I guess. They'll just be right. Like, I'll put my dick in it. No yeah, problem. we could we could do this. <laughs> uh, what about bats? Do are bats using the same structures as snakes? In your opinion, ever? Probably very rarely, um, especially most of the. The, the cave hibernacular bats most of the time caves are too big and cold wet. big cold and wet and probably have a lot of air blowing mm -hmm. out of them i think for, for snakes generally like like you'd be surprised what a, a timber rattlesnake will den in like that was one another cool thing with telemetry is like we think it like most of the time I would say generally denning habitat looks pretty similar where you see like talus slopes, big rocks, et cetera. And, but you see them sometimes they'll go into like a chip, their entrance will be like a chipmunk burrow mm -hmm. and you don't really know what it looks like underground. But I think one thing that is probably pretty certain is that it's as tight as it can be. It seems like just from what I could see on the surface, and because you would think that if it was really open, it would collapse somewhere and you would be able to see 
something like that. I, I think that most of the time <laughs> it's, it's it's going to be tight because the entrances are almost always very tight. Have you ever made your own artificially on your like camp area just for fun? No, I mean, so I, I worked on a project in New Jersey where we were, um, where they, they were moving a, a concrete pad for like a cell tower, I think it was. And they dug up a bunch of snakes in the middle of the winter. And New Jersey has, is very like, most of their herps are listed in New Jersey just because they don't have a lot of, especially like the stuff that's like montane because there's just not a lot of the habitat they have mm -hmm. there. And um, so this was the same boss I had for the other one in PA. It put uh, transmitters in several, several snakes that, that were still alive. Like, uh, and there was rattlers, rat snakes, racers, copperheads, hog noses. And basically what they were trying to see was, can we build artificial dens for these things? And, mm -hmm. um, and I was there at the tail end of it when we were taking the transmitters out and, uh, several of the racers and rat snakes used the artificial hibernacula. So basically it was like, a. um, like a Tupperware container uh, or a tote or plastic tote or whatever buried in the ground. I think that's what it was, but the, they, they've done this too with pine snakes where they bury a bunch of like wood and rubble. Mm -hmm. And then they have like a, a PVC, like a, like a like plastic corrugated. Yeah. 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 A plastic like curvy pipe that comes out of it as an entrance and so we had that we had that pipe coming up. We had that in another tote as basically a trap for when they came out. And we go and check it every day. And um, there's racers and rat snakes that used it. The the copperheads didn't use it. Um, and then some of the rat rattlesnakes they used they actually hibernated. It was an old pipeline where they didn't have where they had like rubble all around it. So there was there was space around the pipe, and the pipe gets hot. For, for certain types of like natural gas and they would just basically like sit on the pipe underground. Like a riprap pile? Yeah. Okay. Like underground. Like now whenever they, for most of like probably the last 30 years, whenever they bury a pipeline, they pad it with like sand. They don't just like dump rocks on it because it'll like dent it and mess it up. But yeah. Um, so it, it can be done. Definitely, I they've done work in New Jersey with pine snakes and an artificial hibernacula like that. Yeah, I mean, I've just like I don't know for fucking 20, 30 years <laughs> been like I'm gonna buy a property and install hibernacula because that's like the best way to get like consistent sort of snakes in your yard. Oh yeah, all year round. Like, and, and it could be people, people, I mean, snakes that just stumble in. They they couldn't make it to theirs. They stumble into yours. So like. And that's the best way to get snakes out of your yard if you like don't want it is like take this relatively rare resource and get rid of it but yeah like when i lived in the pacific northwest it was raining all winter so like dry hibernacula was what was rare oh, that's interesting you know because it's like yeah. 50 degrees all winter but constant rain so like the the water table is basically like this far below mm -hmm. the surface <laughs> so the only thing that can live there is garter snakes and rubber boas and they can only live in like certain hill slopes that are that drain well enough 
that they don't drown. Yeah. So I couldn't put a hibernacula on my my yard. It's no good. <laughs> well, I miss. I mean, get a bunch of burrowing crayfish and just let them go. Are they Don't native we... there? They're. I think they're all over the U.S. Pacific Northwest. That place is weird. Like west of the Cascades, there's like hardly any snakes. Just salamanders are in charge. <laughs> Some yeah, frogs, but not even that yeah. many. I don't know. I, I don't know. You'd, you'd have to ask uh, someone like David. They'd probably mm-hmm. know. Um, but it, it's it's amazing how many snakes use crayfish burrows for hibernacula in, in the east. Like I've, I mean, garter snakes use them. Like I, I think any snake that is in an area with crayfish burrowing crayfish ha- probably has um, the opportunity to use them is hibernacula mm-hmm. and then you know stuff like massasaugas and kirtland snakes they almost require them in some areas yeah like in my mom's old property you know it was karst so mm-hmm. fucking the whole thing was swiss cheese anyway but like <laughs> like off of the opecan it was like a tributary and so the water snakes and garter snakes would use crayfish bro slash karst like funnels to, mm-hmm. to brumate in because that was just close enough to their habitat yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't see rat snakes or bigger stuff in there because i think when it gets flooded in the spring they'll come out early be like half zombie yeah, yeah. but warm up but they can go back but a rat snake couldn't hang with that because it would just get eaten too quick it's too big yeah yeah but they go would go upland somewhere else so it's actually like really interesting how they pick. Yeah, that is your interesting. I see. We had uh, when I was doing telemetry on that project, we had a rat snake that was hibernating like seventy feet up in like a big red oak tree, like inside of it. Did you read that paper that came out? Like multiple snakes using the same waterlogged tree hole. Rat mm. snakes. No, but it doesn't surprise me. They fucking love holes. Oh love yeah, them. I. I talked to a guy at a conference that was up in Massachusetts, I think, and he was like asking me about rat snake, talking to me about rat snakes. I mean, he's looking for rat snakes up there like I look for for green salamanders down here because they're rare up there, mm-hmm. like on the edge of their range. And he said, "I he's like, there's this big tree I know where I find several, sh- like it's like a communal shedding site for rat snakes. Mm-hmm. And they'll communally like, oh, lay eggs too yeah in certain parts of their range it's it's actually like crazy like that's their resource yeah that's like maybe limiting because they know they need to use it but it's like Uh it's actually really wild like how and this is like maybe for people who are keeping casual snakes the kinds of niches snakes would prefer to use they could probably be fine without very much but they like all kinds of weird stuff that we don't actually use in captivity at all. What do you think about weird people who keep snakes as pets? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm really liking this one comment about the warm, damp holes. Mm. It's very uh, intriguing. Mm. Uh, it's very That's true. Right. Yeah. right. Um, I personally don't keep anything. Um, I, the only time I do keep stuff is whenever I do like, uh, I'll do like kids programs at this one rod and gun club that I belong to. And, um, I usually just try to keep, 
try to get like a milk snake and a copperhead and uh and a water snake so i can be like look at this right these aren't copperheads (laughs) and it's usually like it's for the kids but Mm -hmm. it's more so for the parents because the parents are with them and they're like that's a copperhead i'm like sure about that and then you look at your face when you show them a copperhead and realize that they've never seen a copperhead before right and it's like I'll keep like I I enjoy keeping stuff like that. Like I, I I'll usually try to get a spotted salamander because they're awesome for kids. Mm-hmm. They're big, they're fat, they're lazy, and they're all looks like they're always smiling. So, um, and I and I enjoy having them like because obviously I can't go just catch a spotted salamander in the middle of June. So I got to keep it for like a couple months. And I I was like feeding it worms and things like that they're really fun to watch feed and they're generally pretty easy to keep um i don't keep like i like to see stuff in the wild so it doesn't really excite me that much to keep something for a long period of time like i think that i would get bored pretty easily whenever i was a little kid i would i you know i wanted to keep everything i caught everything i saw Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna keep this toad for 20 years um but I would, my parents would always make, make me let it go. And I, I always liked the idea of, I always liked watching it like swim away or whatever, mm-hmm. crawl away. And, uh, and I would feel bad if they died. And, uh, and that's just like, I mean, that's just how I am. I'm also like pretty lazy. Um, <laughs> you know, we were just kind of roommates and I was supposed to be the one who vacuumed our house. And I think I vacuumed it like one time. That's fine. That's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but um so yeah i don't but i also have but i also currently have the time and because of my job i'm in an area i'm a lot of times in areas where i have the time and and the opportunity to go and look for stuff in the wild and i realize and i'm also like i mean the, the reason that i'm in somewhat decent physical shape is because i I'm obsessed with species that live in the mountains. So I, I'm always running around in those areas. So I, if I wasn't able, if I didn't have the time to do things, to do field herping, then I would probably be more inclined to keep stuff. Mm-hmm. So I understand that a, a lot of people out there don't have time to go, you know, drive three hours just to, crawl around a rhododendron for four hours and get cut up from Greenbrier. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah. There's no stories. <laughs> I was perfect every time. We, Maybe. um, <laughs> see, I like going out with Pookie because, um, Pookie I like, yeah, it was really fun making her, uh, try to jump across a creek that was like this big and then you just pretend like we were gonna leave her (laughs) pookie's my chihuahua everybody if you missed it uh she died i don't know if it's like a secret oh really yeah i'm sorry how long ago Mm, april oh really oh i'm sorry i don't know i didn't know if i should announce it (laughs) no she is badass but yeah like there's like a really big weird divide between like field 
herping people and mm -hmm. captive keeping people. And it's a lot of times it's like, y'all both like the same fucking thing. Like you could at least like shake hands cordially over whatever. It's the weirdest yeah. thing. And I I still don't get it because like I remember writing impact statements to be like pet trade fucked up wood turtles. I'm like kind of, but not really. I probably just didn't get hit by cars. Just any yeah. car <laughs> squishing them is what's think, gonna yeah. ruin wood turtles. Yes, there will probably be some people poaching them, but the pet side yeah. is like I want it captive bred so it doesn't have worms and shit. Like yeah. that's they really do want that. They don't want to have poached animals. Yeah, I would like if it's bred in captivity, you know, go for it. Like the the worst thing that 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 could happen is a a rare animal will take it out of the wild and and sold for a bunch of money. Um, I think that's like just de deplorable. I I can't imagine anyone who would do something like that actually cares about the animal. Um, right, right, and most people are like. We need to get captive breeding going so no one needs to, and then yeah. breed a lot of them so they're not expensive, so no one would need to like poach them because they're expensive. Yeah, yeah. So, like the definitely. more you breed the them, they're, like way. they're 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 yeah. cheaper, and then you'll leave them once in a while alone. People, like a lot of uh, state, uh, you know, like agency agency folks are like very um, uh, iffy when it comes to releasing. Like when it comes to releasing mammals and birds, mm -hmm. it's like a free for all because it works so well. They're just like, oh, we want uh, we want elk in this area where they haven't been in a hundred years. Well, we'll just trade some turkey with this state over here, and we'll bring them in on a truck and, and dump them over wherever, and they'll 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 be fine. Um, but you just can't do that with herbs because they're so. Um, habitat specific they can't move a lot mm -hmm. and then there's a whole and that's not even bringing up the whole uh conundrum of disease mm -hmm. which is like i i think it's probably one of the biggest thing is keeping keeping them from you know i i think like the whole bubble of of sfd is finally starting to like go down because you mean like the hype or yeah. The actual threat. Because sometimes I'm like, I don't think there's how a... much SFD was always here all along anyway. It was. Yeah. yeah. Have you have you seen the study where they found it in specimens from like the 50s, the 30s? No, but I'm not surprised because it's like they should have done that a long time ago. <laughs> Why are they doing that now? Like everyone, like all the old Herper guys, all the old like rattlesnake guys be like, Yeah, those are we used to just call those den scars. Like Right, We've always saw that they all come out of hibernacula. Not all of them, but like a lot of them look like shit, like yeah, like hot garbage. Like they were a little too moist or whatever. Any fungal fungus, even something that would be on their skin naturally, it's just like uh -huh. let's go. Immune system's down. It's a little moist. I'm just That's gonna chew on go this shit. thing's face. Yeah, and that's the problem. Is like people, and and part of the re and part of me thinks that like some of it some of this um some of the hype was warranted because they were like everyone saw white nose syndrome with bats and they were like if this hat like this could happen with with herps and we could mm -hmm. be like screwed um but it just it was a it's not something that was i i think it, we're pretty certain that it, it was always here now mm -hmm. um 
And the you thing is, like, they, sorry, where they come out at like very weird times and like they'll, sun. they'll come out, they'll come you know, out. It's all- fucking thirty degrees outside. They'll come out in sun. Yeah, yeah. You I see, think they're like, just drying off and getting a drink of water, like on purpose, mm-hmm. even though it's extremely risky. They they, they, yeah, people, you'd be really surprised. Like a lot of people are really surprised when I say, like, they will come out there. Like there might be a rattlesnake out right now in Pennsylvania. Like mm-hmm. for some reason, like they, I mean, they don't go crawling around wherever they'll come. They don't go more than like two feet from their, their entrance hole, but they'll come out in weird times. Like, um, especially if they have something wrong with it, like if they're trying to shed something off, but that's the thing is like, it, it, it created this kind of vicious cycle where people were like, okay, this one has a fungus. We got to keep going and checking on it. But sometimes by going and checking on them, you disturb them and then they go under when that's the last thing you want to do. You, they need to be out thermoregulating so they can shed it off to get mm-hmm. rid of it. But if you if you go and disturb them, then they're going to die and then you'll be like, well, right. They need killed, maybe the fungus killed them. Immune no, system turn yeah. on by sitting in the sun long enough to warm up enough. Like I, I, I never saw rattlesnakes coming out of my neck because I wasn't really up on the mountain at that time. But like you can find like half frozen garter snakes <laughs> all oh, over yeah. the place, like or, or whatever that are just like they either they got flooded out or they're just like mm, fuck. I'm just gonna warm up and maybe they got stuck. Maybe they didn't. They just figure it out. Like they're yeah. surprisingly resilient. And if they know they have a problem, they'll warm up and shut it off. Somehow they they know to do that. Oh yeah, it, it, it really is unbelievable how something that is cold blooded could be out like that and in that kind of weather and and something that can look so shitty and you're like you're no like there's no way that snake's gonna live and you know it might not live because it gets picked off by something but it might shed and then all of a sudden it's like it's looking good yeah let's go let's get some get some some chippies andrew's dropping some jokes in the chat oh yeah the cordyceps (laughs) yeah uh let's just be glad it's not here that's all uh (laughs) gross yeah have um to go back to what i was saying before about uh um about you know keepers and field herpers like there's there's a lot of there there's obviously going to be like bad apples that look make the the hobby look bad in, in mm-hmm. either in either one like there's you know there's there's field herpers that go out and destroy a lot of stuff and um you know want to go out and and chase stuff just for clout and purposely get bit by things and uh I'm sure you all seen videos of people doing doing that just like you see videos of like these numb skulls like free handling cobras or, mm-hmm. or whatever and like it's not gonna do good it doesn't do good for anyone you know <laughs> people who truly care about the animals you, you care about them and are they're and they're going to do good for them mm-hmm. what do you think about like a lot of times like keepers like they've tried to raise money for like conservation organizations and they've been like not they're like we don't want your money like 
keeper like like it's that antagonistic at the at the, uh, at the institutional sucks. level they're like oh three thousand dollars for this like nature conservancy park or whatever they're like nope it's because like keepers we're all bad like collectively even though we're all interested in the same thing it's just two different like modalities like it, it's actually like that bad which has always been crazy to me because i'm like both of them are good like you could introduce yeah. a kid to like a little leopard gecko and then they grow up to like wild whatever lizards exactly. in near their house and they still like their leopard gecko but they also like their native species too i was a little kid and went to see a rattlesnake roundup in cinema honing pa where like that was when they were still bagging them and doing crazy stuff and i was like i mean that was like one of the defining moments for me to see something like that and obviously it's all changed now it's all just a contest for like see what the biggest one is and you have to put them back and it's very educational now but yeah the same thing with like i mean i love going to a pet store to see like a mediterranean or um what are those african clawed frogs Mm -hmm. um which I actually just do you know that they use those for like uh pregnancy tests? Well, they used to. Yeah. They would inject them with the Yeah, I, I didn't I had no idea. <laughs> People <laughs> I are... just found out that recently. In the 50s, we were very you know, like into like Who figured that out. <laughs> they used to inject rabbits, I think, first. And they're like, they're kind of cute. We'll just Let's do the frogs. If they lay eggs, you know. Yeah. She's pregnant. yeah but that's that's dumb like if you especially like you know nonprofits and stuff like that that are hurting for money like i'd take money anywhere i could get it right it's just like that's what i'm saying is crazy it's like so i would like i want like keepers to like like the orient society and like the nature conservancy and like the center for biological diversity but the center for biological diversity in particular is like very antagonistic to to keeping because they're worried about invasives and we're like they're worried about a lot of things <laughs> so I they're worry. like i worry a lot <laughs> um, uh, so i don't know how to like bridge the gap more except for like make keepers go outside and see if you can convince some herpers to like keep whatever their like favorite species is as a pet. And then they could like see the issues on both sides, but yeah, it's largely it's about, unsuccessful. <laughs> it's a, I, it's all about networking. Um, you know, talking to people like getting all these people together, like, uh, like um, West Virginia herp society. They have, they've been having meetings for the last couple of years. I think since 2017 or something like that. They started back uh, up. I guess yeah. I knew that. That they had a meeting? They've had meetings. I, I actually, something was always going on whenever it was happening. I, I was finally able to go this past year and it was great. There was a lot of people there that were keep, that were obviously keepers, mm-hmm. got to go out and see like green salamanders. And then there was people like one of uh, Jamie's students did a talk. Zach Lokman did a talk. Dr. Polly's usually there. It's, um, you know, I, I, I think that's a good thing. And I think, it's really it's really sad that um like an agency or or a nonprofit like that would be uh antagonistic towards something like that because these are very under like the people who people who spend their life taking care of an animal 
are going to know a hell of a lot more about it than somebody who just who's like, all right, we're going to start a breeding program for for bog for you know spotted turtles or whatever, mm-hmm. and then they just like, oh yeah, we're trying to figure out how we can get them to like lay eggs. Meanwhile, there's some guy that lives down the road that's been doing it for 40 years in his house. <laughs> right. Like hire that guy, get like you, they need to utilize people like this. They're, yeah. It's stupid. Yeah. I, yeah. I think we agree. It's just, it's always been crazy to me. Like there's a way that we can live equitably and for like a, a class of species that fuck, fuck all nobody cares about. The only other half of the set of people that care about it too you know they got money they, they are interested yeah they'll volunteer yeah, we, why would you send them together. away it's crazy fuck yeah <laughs> the, the, the people who don't care are going to be in their own world like the people like the um people who are just all about these. like free, like all about like free handling and just like macho type shit like just let them do whatever they like they're in their own world just whatever screw them we right. all need all of us people who care about the animals need to stick together you know right that's the way i see it and i i do think keepers need to go outside too <laughs> like it's a problem like they're more interested in snakes so, sometimes in other countries than in their uh-huh. own country like we have lots of cool snakes and lizards and turtles yeah. and shit here too so you don't have to travel necessarily to like experience something you know transcendent like yeah life-changingly beautiful and i don't know like that those exactly. are my favorites i keep lots of snakes i like them nothing ever beats like those like weird moments in the wild where you're like there's like a fortuitous set of events like a sunset and a waterfall and a <laughs> fucking rock and a snake and you're like i don't know what's happening but it feels extra one <laughs> of my favorites yeah Obviously, I love rattlesnakes, but ringnecks are still one of my favorite snakes. They're mm-hmm. just—I don't know—they're just cool looking, and like that's also another one of those, like when I do that hurt that um that little program for kids. Obviously, like I remember one time I brought a, I had a milk snake, and I was like, it was like it was a juvenile, and I was like, all right, this thing's nice. I'm gonna let the kids hold it. The first group of kids in the morning, some five-year-old girl picks it up and it bites her and she tosses it somewhere i'm like all right no one's holding that again and then like i'm like all right i'm gonna hold this water snake for these kids and all of a sudden i'm like trying to hide that my arms are just covered in blood (laughs) like why are you bleeding no don't worry about it It was just a scab Uh, (laughs) but like so like ringnecks are like the bread and butter of that program I, i have all the kids whole I they they're just constantly passing around ringneck snakes and they all are like blown away by it. Like mm-hmm. I don't need to bring like they, like they're not they don't need to be shown like uh like a some crazy morph of a of a python to to be excited. They're excited about a ringneck snake. So mm-hmm. that's so that's what I'm gonna show them. And the thing too is like when you ask them, like I'll always ask kids, like, what kind of snake do you think this is? And they always say a snake that they've seen on TV that doesn't mm-hmm. even live in this hemisphere. So that's why I always try to show them native species that I want to show them something that they might see again someday. And it right. makes it less, it makes it less scary. Cause like 
most TV shows and, and things like that, they're, it's all about like, um, you know, the biggest, most deadly or, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the case with a lot of snakes. And I think it, it does better to promote like uh, an understanding of wildlife uh, of native wildlife to show that, it, you know, to educate people on that. Mm-hmm. Cause where That's else are they going to learn Like it? PA is better. Like a lot of States, you can't keep any natives. Yeah. I'm like, at least PA you can keep four, right? You keep four or catch four, yeah. keep four or whatever the rules are. But like a lot of States, you can't keep any. And then it's like, to me, like keeping is part is at least part of the package deal. It doesn't have to be for like yeah. species of concern or whatever. But as long as you can have like some educational programs, a teacher has one in their classroom, whatever. It's there should be a chance that it's a native species. Too. Yeah, yeah. But definitely. there's lots of states where it's totally illegal, and you're just like, fuck. <laughs> How is anybody yeah. going to appreciate anything if you can't be like, oh look, I live in. Like in West Virginia, they banned all natives. I, I know. I, yeah. yeah. Like I mean, I'm sure be- you could get you could get a scientific or an educational permit. Um, I know, but <laughs> nobody would, it's, like it's like asking a lot. Like, but if someone could keep a pet, you know, pine snake or something, I think it's a species of concern. Bad example: a pet <laughs> king snake. Yeah. Like an Easter king. That's a good pet. It's fine. Like it's it's not like crazy. It's not gonna kill the neighbors. It's fine. Yeah. But that would maybe let want them to go herp and go and appreciate anything in their environment. I don't know. That's just how I feel about it. And I feel like most state agencies don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it's tough. There, I mean the way things are, it's like a lot of times their hands are tied by by budgets. They got, you know, people breathing down their neck. And, and, the, and the, the kind of people that, you know, the way that colleges have been in the last, like, 20 years or so, they're kind of, they're churning out people. I, I've noticed with a, a lot of agencies, people that don't have a lot of, um, they're cut. They kind of just do what they're told. They mm. they don't have a lot of, um, yeah. I, because like, if you have some kid come up and you're like, "Hey, I I want to like do a study on on garter snakes in my backyard," most people are going to be like, "No, that can't happen." But like, that's that's what we need. We need people to get involved. We we need people to think outside the box and meet, need people to um, just care more. And, and yeah, like nobody's going to advocate for like their local swamp more than the kid who played in said swamp. You exactly. Know what I mean? Yeah, there was like um, in Ohio, one of they, they they found Kirtland snakes recently in an area that they it was like a new county or something like that. I remember reading about this, and um, they put out boards for it, and they and they couldn't find any. Well, some kid who was out there fishing found one, and he turned it. He was like, "Hey, I found this snake." They're like, "What the hell? We couldn't find them." Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was just he was just 
I mean, I mean, he probably went fishing there like every day and he's flipping these boards or whatever. He didn't even know what the hell they were for. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he finds one. And I thought it was the coolest thing. Like they went back there and they went there with the kid and the kid, they actually got the kid involved so that he could go out and check them because he probably lived right there mm-hmm. and they got the kid involved. I mean, that that's like exactly what you want to see, you know? Right. There's a lot of like, I don't know. I mean, we can like lament the state of the country's government, but there's a lot of like top down, like only scientists can do this. That's what I mean. Only fucking whatever can publish in this paper, you know, any sort of natural history of a guy who's been chilling out in his Creek, looking at turtles for the last 40 Mm -hmm. years. Fuck you. This paper. It's not a real paper. It is a real paper. Like it's, I don't know. it's, like I've heard that, it a lot better than I could. <laughs> I've yeah. heard that like natural history from Dr. Loafman has gotten like a better shake in publishing mm-hmm. recently, like since we graduated. So it's not as like brutally like, oh, if you don't do a mo- landscape based model of this fucking species occurrence <laughs> that you never fucking check, by the way, if it's actually efficacious, you just make a model. Yeah. <sighs> Models and genetics and. <laughs> Fuck you, models. I remember everyone models. laughed at me when I was I when we were in grad school and I we were talking about something. I was like, usually when I see the word Anova, I just skip that section. Skip <laughs> <laughs> like any kind of stats. I was like, I just skip that section. That's but like, yeah, I you're you're right on the money there about like the top down thing and and, and um People like back in the day, you know, guys like Marty Martin, they could, he was like this, uh, you know, just basically devoted his, his life to rattlesnakes and in the Appalachians. And he had, has all these really, he, he published all these cool papers and he was, and he wasn't like a, a, a PhD professor or anything. He just was, he just really liked rattlesnakes mm-hmm. and he does these, does, does these really cool long-term studies in West Virginia. And, um, and it, I think it'd be hard. It'd be hard to do that these days. You know, right. it, it comes people. It's not like people see. are going to pay anybody to do it anyway. So if somebody wants to do it for free, exactly. You might yeah. Fucking let them do it and yeah. like accept them as, uh, you know, uh, you know, like a lot of these papers, they're like notes anyway. Like I saw, a. Snake eating a different snake in a tree, yeah. you know? So, like, that's basically what it can be. But, like, I don't know. We really fucked up uh, the scientific method, just saying, for natural history. Yeah. Hopefully it gets yeah. I don't know. Well, I I do I, I do have to say that Pennsylvania, uh, West Virginia, and Virginia, they have pretty good people that are open to these kinds of things. So I, I feel lucky that I'm involved in, in states like that where they have people that – understand these kinds of things um there's other Tell states West virginia make natives legal to keep <laughs> again like that was yeah, a dumb decision i think i i really don't know what happened there i i think it from what i some the way that i see it is they made that so be, because they didn't have they had regulations that didn't have like any teeth before that and they don't want people it, and they probably got blowback from, you know, WCOs and, and wardens and stuff. Be like, well, how do I know what kind of species salamander this is? And they'd be like, well, if you can't keep any of them and you want to get someone 
and you want to find someone, you could just be like, well, I don't know what kind of style manner that is, but you're not allowed to have it. But I don't think that you're going to have a warden out there walking up to a kid with a garter snake and being like, uh, well, you can't have that. I, th- and- I, I, I I think I think when you do stuff like this, it like incentivizes that yeah, behavior. Yeah. Like in Florida, like they can't tell the fuck all shit difference of nothing. There's too many species to tell the difference. Yeah. They might as well have made them all like mo- mall legal and then like just had bag limits for natives. So you didn't like yeah. take 40 or whatever. But they yeah. said they make <laughs> weird rules. And in West Virginia, like non-natives are legal. So like, what if they had a tiger salamander from California? They would still need to know the difference between a tiger salamander from California and a spotted salamander that's native, technically. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, still I, just as hard. It just like no, that's a good point. hurts people's ability to like go to Petco, get a corn snake, and be like, fuck, I like corn snakes. Oh, they're native, but they're kind of rare. Maybe I'll herp them and and just enjoy them. Don't collect them. Like, who cares? It's a brown snake in the woods. But that like chain of learning about your own, you know, herpetofauna is it's fucking broken. Yeah, it doesn't even. You know about the guy that's uh, been finding corn snakes? Yeah, fuck Virginia. that guy. I'll fight him. <laughs> I'm kidding. He just beat me to it. Yeah, I know. No, he's good. He gave a he gave a really cool talk about all this. I know he's probably a great guy. Yeah. Still want to fight him. Hey, no, sorry. Keep there's going. still there's still pine snakes and eastern kings to be found down Fuck. there. All right. Well, that's like, but that was like my home, like the I next know. county I knew for my home. What a bitch! I ain't coming back ever, ever. Oh come on. No, if I moved back, I'd move back to Pennsylvania because I think it has the most fair, like, keeping laws and stuff. So I Come wouldn't even down. move back to WV, you know? Fuck. Come on down. All right. Shit. Pennsylvania's waiting for me. I do miss, like, you know, pop trees. trees. <laughs> <laughs> like spice bushes. You know, oh, just yeah. like anything eastern deciduous i miss it you know tumbleweeds there's tumbleweeds here it's wild they're not even native either that's the worst part they're from fucking siberia or some shit Uh, and they're invasive i like it i i really do like the area where i live and um i like the i mean i I really just I like the Appalachians and in the Midwest and I like the Southeast too. Whenever uh, you know I have the opportunity to go down there, but once it gets too hot and things aren't moving, it's it could be somewhat discouraging. Mm-hmm. I think it, that's the nice thing about the Appalachians is you can do stuff all you can look for certain. There's always something to look for, mm-hmm. even, even in, the, in winter. the winter. Oh fuck, Jinx! You want but, me to go? Mud puppies, yeah. I used to like, you know, what wood frogs come out really early, but even before then, you can go pull whatever, like overwintering bullfrogs, green frogs. Oh, yeah, like the littlest puddle of water. I'm not quarreling with anybody, he just beat me at my own game, and I'm jealous. Okay, (laughs) yeah, snakes are rare. Yeah, I did, um, you know. 
trap mud puppy trapping I, I have a video about the uh the mud on puppy. your youtube yeah let's look at your youtube we're about finishing up uh it's pretty sad but um winter mud puppying oh <laughs> you should keep going though like there's a lot of like content uh like like you know you've seen NFK yeah. thing, right oh it's yeah yeah of, i know no, yeah yeah you I know to him. him well i i talk to him online here and there are oh, you we, all buds? Yeah, we have a lot of mutual friends um i i should invite him on fuck but I, I like the idea of like a content a, a cr creator of content who all they do is like here's some wild shit and it's fun let's like yeah you know edit it up you know obviously you're you're deleting you know, a lot of the, the yeah. like I, I walked around in the woods for eight hours and didn't find anything like it makes it well, more appealing to normies but i'm i'm going the videos i'm going to make are going to show that so fuck all eight hours <laughs> no no like like i there aren't a lot of, like um i i like noah's videos and, and some other and some other people out there um but there's a lot of videos where I see a lot of most most of the popular content I see are um, seems like like no is kind of the upset uh, the exception where it's like most of the other content is like shock it's like oh yeah um, they're the worst it's it's like shock or it's like so G rated and for and, kids and boring that it like I mean that's good that it's for kids. And it appeals to them, but I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I like, to. yeah, like I, the way my brain works is just like, I don't know. I, I have a lot. I'm, I'm I want to, yeah, I want to make something like, I just have like a kind of like a, a darker sense of humor and, and things like that. And, uh, I like to, I would want to make, I want to make something that I would want to watch because it doesn't exist. Andrew Heckler says he would watch more naturalist content as long as it's not van life people who stumble on wildlife and then optimize it for Instagram. Yeah, I think NKH, what's his name, Noah? He's yeah. like the best one. He's like, I got a Target. I'm driving. It sucks. Here's my, you know, gas station burrito. And then he herps. He finds some stuff. You got an ID. You got like in situ pictures and in situ yep. video. You are like, oh, that's the context for the for the finding. He's like, this was my goal, and then I missed my goal, and it kind of sucked. Then I go home and I drive for yep. eight more hours. So like, it's actually like is real relatively realistic while still being mm -hmm. like edited in a fun way. Yeah, yeah. That's... I respect it. Yeah, I I only have a couple videos on that channel, but I have um, I have almost two years worth of stuff recorded. I was just telling Jessica that um, I just need to edit, edit down and get out there. Now that I have some more time, finally. We talked about uh, the other guy. What's his name that we went to school with? Not messenger. My brain's not working. Um, Zach? Not Zach. The other guy. You're a year older than us. Nathan Shepard. Shepard is he still on Instagram? I don't. I don't know. Honestly, Let's I could check. Yeah, he you... was relatively famous. Herper guy Instagram. 
what I'm saying is I think there's like a, a, a still a marketplace for that kind of content. Yeah. Because yeah, like, because I don't see it. I'm always like, I want to watch something like this and it just doesn't, it just doesn't exist. Right. It probably, like it costs a lot of money and it costs a lot of time, but if you're already doing it anyway and you can slap a GoPro on your chest for the most part and then maybe film an intro outro. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the not? thing is like, I would just make little dumb little Instagram stories and um, mostly for my own amusement. And people said that they really liked it. So I was mm -hmm. like, well, I, I can expand on this. So that's what I did. Yeah. Like Instagram is fine, but I think the, where it'll do best is on YouTube Dude. because I've always been like, what the fuck is going on? If I wanted to herp, whatever, Georgia yeah. or whatever. There's a, yeah. Cause like, a file, like yeah. you don't know when you're going to want to go there. Like if I go there for like a reptile show, you might want to herp around it. So I'm always like checking to see if someone showed off what was, what they road cruised up while they were there. Yeah. So I, I would do it. I don't know. Yeah. I, th there's a fine line between educating people and educating the wrong people about where to find, where and how to find stuff. That's right. that's one thing that I, I've been like it going trying to go over in my head is like uh, not only like not only do you not want to tell someone exactly where to find something so they can go take it and, and sell it to somewhere in Asia or whatever, but like you don't want to give people uh you don't want to show people something that will get them in trouble with like a, you know, with a state agency or something. Cause mm -hmm. what's legal in one state, like that's what the, like there's this one guy in Florida I was, I was watching and it's like, he's just like grabbing every snake and, and essentially like harassing everything. And um, like Florida and Texas are like the only States where you can get away with, right. with things like that. Like somebody who's watching that, who lives in Maryland or like Massachusetts or, or New Jersey, they're going to do that. And they're going to, they're going to get the a big fine. Yeah. And they're, and then they're just, they're going to be pissed and they're just going to never care about whatever it is again. Right. Well, I think that's why we need more because you need to show yeah. like, the, you know, whatever the, the state statutes are, because some places you can you can only photograph them. Some places you can touch them. It just depends. Yeah, I tried um, it. That's what I, I, I try to do. Like, luckily, with the mud puppy thing, I was it, it was um, I was doing some some distribution stuff with them for the like for the Herp Atlas and the same thing with the wood turtles. There's like a monitoring program I'm helping where I do some some surveys on the on on a stream for that so like i mean i was doing it anyway so i was like i'll just i'll film it um but like I, right. I try to i try to explain that in the video so so people don't get the wrong idea that's good well i expect a new video in 30 days how about that yeah that will definitely happen i will review it on the show all right <laughs> better be good no man it's been fun it's been two and a half hours i can't believe yeah we, we, we fuck, probably talk forever yeah. but come back uh whenever like oh, uh yeah. maybe like uh whatever whenever you do another video or report of your spring herping activities what kind of fun For shenanigans sure. happen sure. i didn't even get to ask you about human feces i was planning on it so we'll save that one for next time <laughs>
Well, that actually, if you watch the mud puppy video, oh, there's some human feces in that one. Well, I, I talk about something. Yeah, I have never seen as much feces as I did around Huntington. Like, like you go to like, <laughs> you, we used to get like soft shell turtles or try to find soft shell turtles in certain spots. And there would just be lots of human feces just all around. Like while people were fishing, they just lost control of their bowels. I'm assuming because of yeah. meth. And I was like, maybe we could talk about all the places we found feces. But we'll save that one <laughs> for next time. It sounds good. Fuck, chat. Thanks, chat, for being here. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Uh, check out his, his IG and his YouTube video that he's going to start working on right away is in the show notes. So go subscribe. Go follow on a G. Uh, Aaron's a cool guy. He likes snakes and salamanders and stuff. That's all that really matters. All right. Let's wave like princesses. Ready? Good job. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. See you.